The decision is final. Tabled, this motion is. Or is it? That sucked. I can't believe the Gathering Shadow was Senate redistricting. Worst cosmic wars ever. I will only see it three more times today. Let me tell you something. 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 Well, let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. 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 Let me tell you something, man. Greetings, Grapple fans! It's time once again for another dose of professional wrestling pontification as two different generations battle it out and try not to anger each other with our aggressive cultural references. Look here, old-timer. No one reads books with papers anymore. Listen now, you young whippersnapper. If you try and defend the Star Wars prequels one more time, so why are Yoda? Yes, it's Let Me Tell You Something. I'm your co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and with me as always is the Jerry Lawler to my cheesy, the cheesy to my queasy, the queasy to my sleazy, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing, mate? I- I'm doing good, although I'd like to, it's very early opportunity to uh, ask you to retract the slanderous remarks about the prequels. I am not a proponent of films about long-standing trade dispute, nor ever will. And we've got with us one more guest who's also watched a lot of wrestling, specifically in the last few years, and it seems to have driven him to near insanity, but he's here with us today to discuss the wider aspects of wrestling, not the most up-to-the-minute conversations, which is what we're used to having when you listen to this guy, because this is a man not only is he in a wrestling podcast, Simon, he's in a wrestling podcast that people listen to. Here he is now from Inside the Ropes. It's Mr. Robert Duffin. Robert, thank you so much for doing this with us tonight. No problem. I'm really glad you uh, clarified that whole prequel thing. I nearly hung up. (laughs) Is is that that what's on here? Are you an angel? There are people out there that do defend the prequels. It's remarkable, but it's true. But if any of you have listened to these episodes before... Robert, you will know that we are of two different generations of wrestling fans. Simon is currently at the age of 24, is that right, Simon? Yes, that's right, 24. Robert, Simon did not start watching wrestling until 2002 when WCW and ECW didn't exist anymore. That's how young this fella is. Actually, Simon, just quickly, just tell Robert the message you sent to me earlier uh, when you tried to show your girlfriend some wrestling and the uh, dirty looks that you received. You're sort of kind of still in my material, but uh, I managed to have successfully, I don't know if the term brainwashed or converted, let's go for convert, uh, my girlfriend into somewhat of a wrestling fan. And she's obviously seen such high quality WWE uh, women's wrestling as uh, TakeOver Brooklyn. And the um, takeover was it respect? Yeah, takeover respect. The Iron Man matches. So the names just changing and out. Um, and I've been doing a thing where I'm watching from SummerSlam 2005 every WWE pay per view forward, sort of to relive 
the doldrums uh, in some <laughs> fucking respects. At least when Robert's watching bad wrestling, he's doing it for a living, and it's the most recent form of wrestling. He only has to watch it once. You're going back and choosing to watch it again. Is this like your Christian Grey situation with your girlfriend? You're really pushing her limits. <laughs> I wish there was some kind of safe word involved. Um, no, we were watching the bit where Layla won the D- Diva search and she was like initiated at SummerSlam. And for some reason, the initiation involved just all the Divas showering her for some <laughs> reason because Vince. Yeah, it's just she looked at me like, wow, feminism wasn't really a thing back then in terms of wrestling. <laughs> Nah, nah, not really. Robert, have you ever tried to, before we get on to the main topic at hand, have you ever had a girlfriend or a significant other that you've found yourself in a situation where you've had to defend what was on the telly in that moment? Yeah, it's a, it's a sad, lonely existence for the most part, <laughs> uh, be it being a wrestling fan. But the, uh, yeah, trying to do that, I tried to do that one time. Um, I, I, the only reason I remember it was because it was at WrestleMania 21, and I really wanted to see it. And I was like, "If we could watch it, it'll be good." And it just didn't really, it didn't really go very well. I think this this year, you're you're lucky, Simon. This year is like a year where there actually are, well, on NXT, I suppose, <laughs> female characters who are, you know, fairly acceptable representations of women. <laughs> but but obviously, if your girlfriend is ever like, "What did it used to be like?" Just be like, "No, no, 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 no." There is, there's no need to go back. It's not worth it. We don't need to see uh, Vince Ironically, Matt. Herm, the same way we should treat the Star Wars prequels to touch on it. <laughs> was 21 the one with Nicky James and Trish Stratus? Because that would be an interesting thing to show a prospective girlfriend. E- oh, God, my memory's going. 23? It wasn't one of the ones in the stadium, so... No, it's 22. I tell like it was 20. So 21, that's the one with Christy Hemi getting to wrestle for the women's title because she'd been in Playboy. That was the women's equivalent of winning the Royal Rumble back in those days. Just taking their kit off for Hugh Hefner and Vince McMahon. Let's now get to the matter at hand. Wrestling fans, we're going to be talking about the nature on the evolution and the, the, the wrestling fan itself and how it's changed. What is a wrestling fan now? So... To get into the autobiographical detail, I was seven when I started watching wrestling. Uh, Simon, how old were you? Ah, uh, I would say, yeah, I'll be about 10, 11. Okay, and Robert, I think you're a year younger than me. So this is going to be a handicap match in this situation, Simon. <laughs> yeah, I was five. So was wrestling the talk of the playground at that point? Was Like it was with me when I was at school. It was My cousin told me about it, and then I started watching it, then gradually... It was one of the things to be into as a kid. It was to be a wrestling fan. It was to be into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was to be into football. Those were things for us. Was that the same in the playgrounds of Glasgow? No, it actually, it wasn't actually. Not at my school, anyway. I was probably the only person that I knew that was into wrestling. I didn't really have anybody else that was my age that, that liked it, which... From speaking to other people, I now know is quite uncommon. It it was obviously very popular at the time, but it, in in my school, it wasn't. There was I don't remember really ever talking to anyone else about it. Watched it and enjoyed it and had a lot of fun and you know collected the the action figures and the the penny sticker books and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't really have another friend or anything that also enjoyed it. Not until I was in high school. Was and, that that attitude era? Yeah, and then it became really cool and everybody liked it, but. 
yeah, the sort of late eighties, early nineties thing was not. Uh, nobody else was really into it, but it wasn't like a. Do you think a, a it was thing... more a case of you might have all in, been into it individually, but just like thought it like <laughs> it's just one of those things not to speak about. Well, that's an interesting thing because for the longest time, to be a wrestling fan was an embarrassing, dark secret to have, a, a weird thing to be to a lot of people because it was fake and it was stupid, it was over the top. Like we've said, you both tried to introduce wrestling to girlfriends, but what is interesting about that is that I think wrestling, even though it's meant to be a very social event. You're all meant to be loud and enthusiastic watching it live or on TV, but it, it feels like a dirty secret. Was was that the case with you, Simon? Was it something you had to hide? For me, after about 1993, um, maybe for you from the start, Robert, it was something we had to hide from other people. Was that the same with you, Simon, or was it, was it not a problem at school? Everyone was into loads of different things, so it didn't matter anymore because there weren't any definitive things that everyone had to be into because of this sort of post-internet splintering of cultures it was very different because it was the attitude era uh just prior to me well i guess the attitude era was closing so it had been closed by 2002 in terms of like the the peak of it but during uh junior school sorry losing track of which school's which now uh during junior school uh I you hear people like um I think I saw like a pencil case or two with uh, just bring it on it and uh, Austin three sixteen on a few like little, you know, bits. It was like one of those things that people were like happy to have and the names were referenced on the playground. I think mainly because of the T V fourteen rating, it was cool to have something that was a bit beyond your mm. suggested age range to talk about. And I guess that... wrestling was that for a lot of people at my junior school, definitely. Uh I Obviously, not having any like form of internet or uh, satellite or cable television at the time, had no idea what they were talking about. And just a little bit later on, when I spoke to my friend, who didn't really brag about being a wrestling fan, or like, didn't wasn't as open as the others, but was I, arguably I'd say the biggest fan in my class at the time. Possibly my school. My school wasn't that big, so it was one of those things. I think people just liked it. And we're glad other people liked it so they could brag about, oh, we're staying up late to watch the wrestling and things like that. It was sort of a little bit of a, uh, I don't don't want to say bad boy at that level, but maybe Mm -hmm. a little bad boy status symbol kind of thing, potentially, I'd say. I'd go as far as making that claim. Okay, that's interesting. Um, So, now here's the key thing. I think that we're going to have to talk about our perspective as a wrestling fan, that for the majority of our time as a fan, that has been spent being what can be best described as, as much as Al Snow might hate it, as being a smart fan. To be smart into the business, we perceive it almost as an art form. We're more critiquing it in many ways, and we're learning about backstage news. We're uh, we're aware of wrestlers' real names and backgrounds. We talk about the on-screen storylines, but we also talk about the personalities behind it as, as performers and almost as artists in a weird way. Um, Robert, with... With you, was it similar with me? Because I think I'd sort of gradually smartened myself up as time was going on as to the storyline structuring and everything. Because I remember being the build-up to WrestleMania 10, knowing that Lex would lose to Yoko and Brett would beat Yoko, but Brett would have lost to Owen, which sets up a Brett versus Owen storyline for Owen to have won but lost at the same time. So that was me reading and looking into the patterns and noticing things so, like I said, smartening myself up. Was that similar with you, Robert? Or was it 
not until you started reading magazines like Power Slam and going online that you started to learn about this or, or understand these subtexts in wrestling. I can't. I don't think I can pinpoint being smartened up. I remember when I was really young, being very, very angry whenever anyone would tell me it wasn't real. I'd be very defensive about it. I, I, I'd be like, "Yes, it is." But I get really angry, <laughs> and then and then that that slowly developed into, okay, well, I know it's not entirely real because you know th- there was now like bin men as wrestlers <laughs> so i figured something's not quite right here but then whenever something that looked particularly painful happened i'd be like well this okay so wrestling i think it may be predetermined in some way but but these this thing definitely hurts mm. these moves definitely hurt them um and then it had to have been i stopped watching for a few years um so 95, 96, obviously 95, great time to check out. Yeah. And uh, got back into really um, big, big time in, in 1997. And that would have been when I started buying uh, Power Slam for the first time. I don't remember the first time I read something. There wasn't some kind of like uh, seeing your parents putting the presents under the tree moment or something where i was like oh yeah it's not real it's nothing <laughs> like that. So it was more like a, a gradual a gradual thing but I, there was i guess in some way there was a sort of admitting it to myself almost where i had to be like yeah. it's it's okay like i know you spent a lot of years angry at people for telling you that it's fake but it's okay to accept that it is and you still like it like it's all right to mm to run with it you went to a different stage of grief basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was acceptance <laughs> uh, how about you then simon can you remember a moment when you sort of uh, your, your how you watched wrestling changed you stopped watching it sort of as um just following the narrative as it's presented to you to a more i guess analytical perspective we're gonna i'm gonna use a lot of wanky phrases throughout this be be forewarned uh but yeah can you think i mean do you do you look at it like that or is it really only until only after i get in touch with you that you suddenly (laughs) (laughs) gotta start thinking about metaphors all of a sudden uh no it was um for me myself, I think it was just a case of, as Robert alluded to, you, you, st- you start seeing a pattern, um, especially when, as you start watching, it's the meteoric rise of uh, our good friend John Cena. Mm-hmm. And you think, OK, well, that's who they're probably going to put him up against. Um, one of the big moments is um, it's WrestleMania, is it? WrestleMania 20, again, WrestleMania 22, where at the time I was so confident that Triple H should beat Cena. That, and I'm ashamed to say, I actually put money on Triple H beating Cena in that match. Did you go to Ladbrokes? Uh, no, no. Uh, being only 14 uh, at the time, I, I put a tenner on with my friend who <laughs> was a little bit further along because he watched it week to week. And at that point, I was only watching. He was taping pay-per-views for me, but I wasn't seeing it week to week. Uh, so I think he, obviously, through seeing a lot more of the pattern, had got himself a lot more clued up. Mm. And he outsmarted me on that one. Mm. Um in hindsight, I think I saw, and I didn't realise what it was at the time, but um, you know in prime secondary school, I don't know if uh, you guys experienced this or not, but every like, once a week or like, on a Monday or something, like, so what did you get up to over the weekend and let's tell each other what we did, that kind, that kind of thing. You're all like, sat in a circle or something like that. At secondary school? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you did go to Nuneaton, so. <laughs> I knew you did. <laughs> You might as well want to keep a tally of those, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> Probably going to hit you 
Uh, and this guy mentioned he'd been to like a wrestling event, like not WWE or anything like that. It's one of those local um, ones you see uh, out and about while she was on holiday. And it's like, oh, it was really cool. I was sat front row and uh, they, like, they slapped my hands on the way out. Obviously, they're just these guys just doing it on the side. And the teacher then went to go on and went, well, uh, you do know it's all predetermined, right? And then just really, like sort of pull the curtain back for this young kid in front of the class. And wow. That, I, I, I didn't think about it until literally like two or three minutes ago, and it sort of hit me in, like, in the last few moments. What, so that, that it's was... fake? Uh, no, no. <laughs> how much of a that was. I mean... People eventually need to be smart. Oh, no, need to be smartened up to it. But will get smartened up to it. But to do it at a public forum to a child, I always thought that was just a bit too much. Well, I guess it's degrees of being smartened up, isn't it? There's being smartened up to it being fake. I mean, I was. I remember being told that before I watched my first match uh, that it was fake. Uh, oh, so they got it in early. For yeah, me. yeah, yeah. My cousin got it in early, and you know, you, my parents wouldn't. wouldn't you know, people always feel the need to tell you that. I don't, you know, we won't go into that, but it's like, do, you know, do you watch EastEnders? Yeah, well then shut the fuck up, or something like that, you know? Because, um, but it's like, but then there's degrees, and I think it's like, it's, I think people, I, this is, I'm going to bring quite a few things uh, from my show, I think, when I talk about this. Uh, one of the things that really kick-started both of my relationships with both of you guys uh, from talking about wrestling was that I did a comedy show in Edinburgh in 2011, uh, sorry, 2010, called Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. And uh, Simon, we've been at an improv group together, but I remember you coming to like my first preview of that show in Bedworth. And um, and, and Robert, we met because you actually came and saw my show. And um, like one of the first things I, I said in it was that uh, one of the things I can't stand about being a wrestling fan are other wrestling fans at times. So I'm going I'm to forewarn people, there might be some rants as this, <laughs> as this uh, episode goes on. Um, but yeah, I guess it's like, the, one of the things that I posit is that I think we all hold on to one or two things from our childhood um, to, to sort of keep that connection, to, to realise that we're the same person. For a lot of people, it's uh, a sports. Like, you know, I think you and me, someone, uh, you and me, someone, we're still into football. I don't know if you are, Robert. Um, but yeah, we're, we're big into sports. Um, I'm big into films. I know you're a big film fan, uh, Robert, and music as well, I believe. Um uh, for some people, it's Star Wars. For some people, it's uh, model railways. You know, it can be all sorts of things. And, and I think it's like, and then there comes that point where it's like, well, if I'm going to still be into this, I guess I'm going to have to go deeper. And whilst I didn't really go any f- deeper into, say, um, dinosaurs, you know, I didn't suddenly start reading, you know, studying biology and trying to become a paleontologist like some people would when they were into dinosaurs at seven or eight, like I was. Uh, or I didn't keep following snooker. You know, I loved snooker when I was a kid, but now I only watch it when it's the World Championships. I have always followed wrestling and, and gradually come to learn more about wrestling, you know, watching other promotions, finding out about Japan, reading magazines, reading books, uh, watching shoot interviews. And I guess it's like, I mean, do you, do, do you remember, I mean, do you think it was a conscious choice you made or do you think it was just this thing stayed with you more than the others that sort of fell a part of the sides without you even necessarily noticing. Uh, Robert, I'll ask you first if if you think that's what happened to you or if it's just, you just got curious and then it, like, sparked something new in, in you. I, I, I got curious at first. 
such a strange. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I was really curious about this. My mate, uh, my mate wants proof to explore my feelings. Yeah, when my mate proofread my autobiography, my book that I wrote based on Confessions of a Wrestling Fan, he did say this sounds so much like a kid coming to terms with being gay, (laughs) 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 by the exact same language, you know. But sorry, go on, Robert. Sorry. Um. Yeah. So I think it probably would have been. It really came down. This is uh, it's, it's kind of I don't know if it's a cliche or not, but it came down to the Montreal screw job. Mm. That was like a sort of catalyst because at that point I'd started to pick up the odds because you know I went to WH Smiths to get WWF magazine, mm. and then racked alongside it was this other thing called Power Slam that looked a little bit kind of grubbier. Mm. You know, it looked like less polished, mm. and and I was kind of like, mm, what's this? What's this grubby magazine? I'm doing it again. Um, and <laughs> I uh, I ended up buying one of them, and then you're sort of flicking through that, and you're going, oh, okay, so this is just look at this is like talking about it like it's I don't know, it's strange. I mean, I guess we'll we'll sort of get into it, but it, it's that point where you move away from talking about it like it's real to because so, so, some people talk about wrestling being like a soap opera, mm. but I don't really hear a lot of big soap fans sort of deconstructing the soap when they're talking about it. Yes, yeah, like, true. W- like when, when soap fans get together, they'll be like, oh my God, did you see what Ian did on EastEnders? Like, mm. they won't be like, oh, you know, the, um, I, I don't know the actor, the actor who plays um, <laughs> Ian, that was a really, that was a great performance. Like, he was a really good villain on that last episode. Like, So so it is, it is a different thing. It's similar, but it is a little bit different, which is what I think wrestling is whenever you try to compare it to anything else. Um... And then, so I sort of was like, okay, well, there's this other alternative sort of stream of, of, of information available. And then the Montreal happened, and it's so hard to imagine that happening without the internet. Like, if 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 that if we had everything we had now then, everyone probably would have known it was going to happen or something. So, uh, I remember uh, watching Survivor Series 97, it had been recorded for me like the night before i came home from school i watched it i was all unsettled by the french ring announcer <laughs> and uh, and then the thing happens with brett and i was kind of like what and then at that point um i don't know if you remember remember uh, monday night raw was on friday nights on sky sports um if you didn't want to I, I don't know if they were showing it live at that point but it was on at like 10 o'clock on a friday night and yeah, that's yeah, when, yeah. When, I, when i watched it so i had to wait like days because we didn't have the internet uh, and I was kind of like, I what? I was genuinely baffled. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, so then, like the next Power Slam came out, I had to buy it right away. I was because it was it was like Bret Hart was a a sort of a constant in my fandom for so many years. Yeah. And then then it's then then you're like, what happened to him? And then you watch the next episode of Raw, and you're and they're like, oh, he's not going to be here anymore. And you're sort of left adrift. Like what? How, how has this happened? So that was the kind of. I need to know more. And then throughout uh, 98, I guess the magazines, 99 was when we first had internet access at home. And like, I, I suppose for a lot of people, you, you get internet at home, the first thing you do is like, I don't know, porn probably. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> for for me, it was like, right, got to get onto these dirt sheets yeah. that I keep hearing, that I keep, you know, keep reading about in uh, Power Slam magazine. I need to know all this stuff and find out what's going on. So that was that was the kind of yeah I guess it was a 
I had to. I, I was mourning Bret Hart, and that's why I became a smart wrestler. <laughs> it's interesting that uh, that Montreal seems like such a key moment. Like, it almost seems like it's the not the Big Bang. I'm not sure what the well. The closest thing I could think is like you got BCAD. I guess you've got before Montreal, after Montreal. That that's kind of how the history of wrestling in the modern context kind of splits because. After Montreal, you get the, the, the boom in wrestling and, and you get, you know, Attitude and Vince McMahon and Stone Cold and, and you know, the fall of WCW gradually, you know, death by a thousand cuts. Um, uh, but, yeah, Simon, like, do, do you, um, do you have a, do you have a, uh, like, can you remember what, what, what led you to getting smartened up? Was it also Power Slam magazine? Was it websites? Because I guess, in, you know, because you're, like seven or eight years younger than us, like you got into like internet access was probably a little bit more easily available to you when you were. Internet access didn't come until I was about what was it sixteen? So obvious, uh... eaten joke. I'm not going to make, but uh, there you go. <laughs> um, but um, it was one of those. Power Slam came first, mm. um, but with Power Slam, I only get. I still, I'm still at the point between 14 and 15, where I'm only seeing like the occasional pay-per-view, but I still knew what was happening because of Power Slam. Mm. And in a way, because I didn't have... Oh, this sounds like such a rags to riches story. <laughs> <laughs> but because I slum dog millionaire, you uh, A little bit, a little <laughs> bit. But because I didn't have the internet, Power Slam was my way of keeping up with the product um save like using it on school library computers or like um the neaton library computers where it's like an hour a day you could get Mm. i think before like you were like locked out for the day um so the most consistent thread i could follow uh really and like rely on the most reliable thread i had was power slam Mm. as a result i learned about the whole world of booking and heat Mm. and all these things and that sort of was a natural progression by me chasing finding out what was going on in this uh, thing I was really interested in but didn't have frequent access to. Yeah. I think in a way we were very lucky that there was sort of that one central core like like um set text for us in Power Slam that we could get sort of a a, a built like a, a wrestling smart smart fan wrestling 101 and then we could kind of go on into our own further studies because you know when i look back in hindsight i think i was a bit too much like finn martin jr and and you know i think all of you all of us know that who've kept re- reading power slam there comes a point where maybe you outgrow power slam yourself because you can't take uh, you can only take so many digs at john cena to the point where you just think you, you, you've got a mental condition. Like, did he did he piss in your cornflakes or something? What what is going on here? But it's like and and like when I look back in hindsight, like this one example I use in the book is like a, I remember watching Capital Combat, the the UK pay per view, uh, no Capital Carnage, sorry, um, but where uh, at London, December nineteen ninety eight. I remember watching it with my brothers, and we bloody loved the show. We were entertained from start to finish. It was fantastic seeing the WF in the UK. Seeing Vinnie Jones out there, you know, and seeing um, and seeing Jacqueline's boobs, all sorts of wonderful <laughs> things that you got to see at that. And like, like I just thought that was a great show. I love that show. That was as good as any of the other WWF pay-per-views. And then reading a report in Power Slam a few weeks later, which basically, even though he didn't do star ratings, his basic point was there wasn't a single match that was over like two and a half stars, and therefore this was a terrible show. And it was kind of like, oh, 
okay, well, I guess I'm not thinking right. I was wrong. Uh, like, my interpretation of something was wrong and I need to be corrected. And so, like, it's something I gradually grew out of. But I think, like, I think when you go into a smart thing, it's like, it's like getting into anything. Like, when you get into wrestling, like, you know, it's, it's the smart fan equivalent of the kid who's so into wrestling that he gets, like, all the Hulk Hogan plush toys and <laughs> all of the, you know, old ultimate... Hulk Hogan workout set. Yeah, yeah. Instead, you get, like, the Finn Martin um, roller decks or something. The Finn Martin notepad with, like, a special column for you to assess every match on a star rating. And, and, and you know, you have certain, like, five. You have that. Ten words he used to describe every match. If a match was good, it was strong. I remember he always used to say something was a strong match, or if it was okay, it was fair. And 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 you know, it's like um. But I, that sounds like I'm being bitter about it. I'm not. Like I was really lucky. Like I remember the first Power Slam I ever bought was the f- issue number fifty, which was like a six-page first interview of anyone had got of Mick Foley after the Hell in the Cell match and that was a fascinating book interview because not only did he talk about the Hell in the Cell match but he talked about his past in Japan and in WCW and suddenly you'd like finding out these things and like that was the first time I'd heard of like the King of the Death match uh, matches and and suddenly that's a new avenue I knew I had to explore in the near future and then a couple of issues after that there was the brilliant interview with the Dynamite Kid which was what led to the publishing of his autobiography and then of course the Mick Foley autobiography and the Dynamite my kid autobiography another like two key texts you know like how there's like certain album like for me radiohead's okay computer was what changed me as a music fan you know it made me see a different world of music similarly i guess have a nice day and pure dynamite again changed my perspective and my and my and what i was interested in in wrestling because let's be honest the people who get involved in wrestling are inherently fascinating people because there's probably something slightly wrong with the vast majority of them <laughs> and so that's what makes the real stories of wrestling like, i i cannot believe other than the wrestler there's not really been any great film or like wrestling any era of wrestling world class mid-south ecw there is a great hbo tv series just basically telling that story and like that and that's what like the real world of wrestling is in many ways more fascinating at times than the than the show that we're presented with, or at least that's how it felt for me for a long period of time. Is it like Robert? Have you ever felt that way? Like like you almost have stopped watching Raw, but you read the news and you read the dirt sheets or whatever because that sto- those stories are actually more compelling. Yeah, I agree. I actually would back up what you said on uh, Mick Foley's book. Although I I remember I only got a copy of that. It was around about the time of the No Way Out 2000 mm. Hell in a Cell retirement, first retirement match yeah, uh, for Mick Foley. <laughs> and so by that point, I'd sort of been reading magazine. But the thing was, is with, with Power Slam, you kind of had to catch yourself up a little bit. You know, if they were using terminology, they wouldn't explain it. Mm. But to, to Foley's credit, although I don't know how it reads now to, to newer fans, from, from memory, he kind of stops and... Uh, defines like when he's talking about like baby faces and heels he tells you what they are when he's talking about bookers he tells you what that is and so he it's, it's almost an education in itself as well as it's just his story he kind of clues you up as to how things work yeah 
I remember, as he encounters them. I remember him giving a great bit of um, psychology advice that was given to him by Michael P.S. Hayes of the a bad guy must always feel what they're doing is right. And that was, like again, just another way of me yeah, 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 looking yeah. into it and, and seeing it from a new perspective. It's like I remember watching a DVD extra feature about The Sixth Sense and they told about the use of red as a motif throughout the film. And so suddenly I'm like... You know, that's that's opening me up to something new when I'm watching films, looking for visual, you know, motifs and references. Uh, Simon, can you remember, were there any kind of key texts or maybe a, a particular interview that you watched on DVD or something that maybe check, like would start to open new avenues of, like, um, I don't know, analysis again, like, no less, I can't think of a less wanky phrase at the moment. <laughs> You're loving this. <clears throat> Sounds like a media studies uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Um, I would say, again, it's a case of Power Slam was sort of the launch pad. But then I would, I watched, I read Eddie Guerrero's uh, autobiography, which I bought not long after he died. Um, was it, yeah, not long after he died. God, that feels like ages ago. Yeah. Well, it was um, 10 years now, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was really good because that taught me about how Mexico worked. Because even though I had like in passing a little bit, there was a, his references to how the Mexican lifestyle were opened my eyes to okay, maybe the American style of doing something isn't the only way of doing something. Which, because in Power Slam, you read, I, I was guilty of reading the WWE bits and then just reading the magazine and occasionally going back and then just like, oh, okay, so. That's that's the kind of people they've got out in Japan now, mm. or that that's who's in Mexico now. Just trying to see if I recognised any of the names, rather than trying to find out who those names were. Mm. Whereas after I'd read uh, the autobiography, I was like, okay, there's something to be had here. That that what they're doing seems quite interesting, and that's when I started getting a bit more open-minded in the, when it came to other promotions. Mm. Um, Again, going back to uh, our sort of coming out feeling, that's when I really started exploring my boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, some of this, um, some of the promotions do sound like BDSM things, don't you? Ooh, go for a bit of New Japan stuff. Ooh, let's uh, let's try some of this Lucha Libre. Ooh, Triple <laughs> A could be. Yeah, yeah. I remember my. I remember getting a couple of ECW videos uh, from MVC Video Store. In, a, in Sutton Coalfield, where I was studying, and two of my friends who weren't into wrestling looking at them. There were two ECW shows. One was called Barely Legal, and, <laughs> and the other one was called, no word of a lie, the other one was called Big Ass Extreme Bash. And <laughs> you, you don't see it. You kind of don't see it with those outsider eyes where it suddenly just it becomes so clear that this does so look like porn. But I'm buying. Um, but let's, let's. This is an interesting thing. And actually, we're going to move beyond like our personal wrestling reflections to Mike. I, I like to sort of look at our observations of other wrestling fans, as it were. Because, like you're saying, like, the, the Mexican culture is a different thing, the, the American culture is a different thing. Like, um, uh, like Robert, can you remember what was the first live wrestling show you went to? Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, first live wrestling show I went to was uh, very early in, in the fandom. Uh, it was a UK Rampage show oh, okay. in 1991 mm. at the, the SECC in Glasgow, um, that was headlined 
by the Million Dollar Man and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Wow. Um, it was like billed as sort of, well, they sort of billed it as a homecoming for Piper, which I think was <laughs> the way to kind of make us yeah. feel le- less annoyed that Hogan wasn't there. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine. Was... Oh, what was the reaction he got when he came out? That was incredible. That's the that's the only thing I, I've been on the of uh, the website that gives you the kind of results of every show ever. Um, so I've been to see what the card was, mm. and I'm like, I don't remember any of this, but I do remember uh, Piper coming out and just being like, "Whoa, mm. like this is insane!" Like being in the building because I wasn't, um, and I, I am not even um, uh, into football, so I'd never been to like a football match or anything. So I had no frame of reference for what it was like to be in. Uh, an environment with that many people going off their heads, mm. like being like crazy loud. So it w- was uh, that was nuts. Mm. Yeah, that was totally nuts. That was the first one uh, that I ever got to go to. How about you, Simon? Um, first actual show run by a promotion would be a WWE house show um, headlined by a punk Jericho street fight. Um, God, you young bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but before that, I had seen some wrestling. It was, I think, one of the variety afternoons at, was it Butlins and Skegness? Yeah, Something yeah. like that. One of the holiday camps. So technically that's my first one. But the first one um, ran by a promotion was uh, the, it was in Nottingham. Uh, what was it? The, yeah, the Nottingham. I can't what they call it now. I know it as the National Ice Centre, but it's where like their hockey team plays. Mm. Uh, been there twice now for a house show. Um, God, that, that's that's uh, showing the gap between the first time I went when Rosa Mendez and uh, Primo and Epico were still uh, doing their <laughs> thing before Los Matadors was formed. Um, has, Ro- has Rosa Mendez lasted long enough that she could get her own like decade of destruction? A commemorative DVD. I think she has been there for she, 10 years. That, oh my goodness me. Anyway. She's the new G- GTG. Yes. <laughs> but she was, uh, she was um, in a relationship to put it nicely with Michael Hayes for a while which uh, is horrifying to think of. That Oh my god. I can imagine he still carries his bum bag with him even as <laughs> engaged. Oh, there's a lot of visuals I didn't need that. <laughs> See, that's another thing that, like, isn't it weird, these little things that become, like, it's not, it didn't even really become a meme, it just became a thing that, like, everyone started realising that every photo you saw of wrestlers back in the 90s, that they all carried bum bags, fanny packs, and now it's like, Grado would wear it when when he'd come out to wrestle, it's like, it's weird little things like that that make wrestling such a weird subculture within itself but here's the question i'd like to ask you now like now you can both remember going up i assume just as fans and cheering the good guys and booing the bad guys well but you know what i mean for the most part for the most part can you remember going to a show with like your sort of i guess cynical teenage or, or or maybe older than that smart perspective and maybe being a bit detached from it were you ever like that like i was like that i remember i'd go to um shows at the Sutton Coldfield Town Hall from a promotion called K-Star Promotions. Um, and they put on these shows and, and like, like, it was just, a part of me was like, because usually I would go there on my own. Um, sometimes there'd be other kids from schools, but like, none of my close friends were into wrestling. Like, they were all into games, computer games, which I'm not into, uh, which everyone, like, everyone who meets me that finds out I'm not into games, like, can't believe it. Which to me, <laughs> it's like a form of racism. That's like, you know, to me... That's the equivalent of someone being shocked that a black person's a vegetarian. You know? Like, no, you eat fried chicken. No, you do eat fried chicken. 
Like that's that's what that's what it feels like to me. But like, so I I would very often go to those on my own. So I think in that in that moment, then I would kind of I'd be too self conscious. Like I couldn't go crazy and cheer with another guy and like you know high five him because like what that was that was just me. Like have you ever guys ever had that moment like sort of post smartening up where you feel like you 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 haven't appreciated the event for what it was because there's another thing i want to ask you about that in, in a moment simon but um robert maybe you go first maybe that's not the case but um i'm not sure like i remember like i i went to a, a couple of shows in the early 90s when i was still like really young and that then i didn't go again to a show until um i i got to go to rebellion 2000 which i think was in sheffield mm. So I got tickets for my birthday that year. It was at the start of December. Um, that would have been the first show that I ever went to where I was sort of smartened up, like I knew what was going on. Like I was, I was there, and I was just like, oh, Triple H isn't even going to be here. I read it on the internet, yeah, um, and, and stuff like that. But I, I think that that show was sort of embarrassingly star star studded. <laughs> that like I sort of I, I like to sort of gloat a little bit about it now because. It was just nuts. Like the the main event was like Austin Rock, Angle, and well Rikishi. Yeah. Um, one of these is not like all the others. Yeah, <laughs> that was like the four way, and then I saw like one of the very few Undertaker versus Chris Benoit matches that ever uh-huh. happened, uh, and then like the Hardys and the Dudleys and everybody that was around them was on this show. Apart from Triple H, wasn't there? And that was like stuck in my craw. Yeah. But, uh, so, but I, I think like. To see all those guys, I was quite like, oh my god. But at the same time, with maybe a little bit sort of trying to suss it out as I was watching it or being yeah. kind of... You want to be one step ahead almost. Yeah, like kind of thinking, well, I know what's going to happen here or what's not going to happen because it's in the UK. Mm, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that was something about maybe a really specific to being a UK fan the first time that you realise yeah. like nothing significant is going to happen well, here. No, come on now, Robert. The European title would change hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> on Robert's point, I, I um, remember when the network launch was delayed and it was just before Raw and SmackDown were in Liverpool and I went to both of those. Uh, that was a famous SmackDown audience yeah. that got told off by Vince McMahon. That's what McMahon. I was mad to talk to you about. Yeah, you got a bollocking. You got a Vince McMahon bollocking. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been, I, I have been dressed down by a McMahon. Um, that that, that that was a weird experience <laughs> and we were chanting away it was i remember it and i don't know why i remember it so well it was the episode where ryback was was umming and ahhing before he joined team cena for triple uh, for team cena versus team authority coming up to survivor series and they were like making it a show long storyline and the opening promo obviously besieged with chance of where's our network and it was the <laughs> one where they had to like sort of tape over the network bit on the ring apron uh. Uh, skirts yeah yes yeah whatever they are um and it was just one of those awkward moments where like we chatted it chatted it loud at the time and obviously on by the time it went to broadcast next to none of it not Mm -hmm. none of it was there it was little bits where like someone it was like a crowd sound they wanted was just everybody chanting Roman Reigns. Yeah, yeah. Roman Reigns. Or like... That's not what we chanted. Or, who will Ryback choose? Who will Ryback choose? Wow, they are really emotionally invested in this story we are telling them tonight. My God. (laughs) Uh, And it's... 
it was that point when we watched it the next day just so went oh i wonder what we like how the crowd was i was like you know because you, you kind of want to see how the crowd came off on television and it was just that moment where it was definitively once and for all i came very cynical as a uk fan and realized that my opinion doesn't really matter as it's not getting the chance to be conveyed um <laughs> It's so fascinating that it's two ends of the, the same spectrum in that regard. Like, on Monday, you're being too loud and not chanting what they want you to chant. And then on Tuesday, you're not chanting anything, and they're furious at you for that. You know, it's like, what, what do you want? I mean, like, what was the atmosphere that, that would lead to, to Vincent Mann coming out? Did it, to you in that moment, did it feel like, wow, this crowd is dead? Because, like, traditionally, the UK crowds are amongst the loudest crowds in wrestling because... We didn't get it more than once a year when it was the pay-per-views, and we didn't get it more than, like, now we get it, like, two long tours every every year, and I suppose maybe the more we get it available to us, the more jaded or, I guess, entitled we become. I mean, was that um, what, with the Liverpool crowd, or was it just, like, it was SmackDown and SmackDown? No, and no. Um, it was SmackDown and a SmackDown crowd. Um, Raw obviously gets snapped for anyone who's tried to buy raw tickets in the uk they've become like gold dust very very quickly what do you mean like gold dust they start feeling themselves (laughs) oh yeah yeah (laughs) um but smackdown tickets i don't think smackdown was even sold out that Mm. night uh no it definitely wasn't actually uh having been in that arena when it's full i can tell you it definitely wasn't full that night um and it was mostly kids Mm. uh at one point during the end my my friend got told off for standing up to cheer by it was like because my kid can't see it was just like a dad who blatantly didn't want to be here kind of yeah. thing, uh, and it was a Zayn Neville match on Superstars because it was coming up to the, one of their NXT uh, title matches, I think not the Fatal Four Way one I don't think the one afterwards, mm. and not many kids as I'm aware having been to an NXT show as well. It's it's not many kids are as clued up on NXT, uh. especially when the network wasn't available in the UK. Yeah. So we're watching these two athletes, and obviously I knew I knew Neville because I knew him as Pac, uh, I knew Zayn as Al Generico, partly through that initial spark of Power Slam. Uh. But you know, now I had access to the internet at this point. You know, you you know a lot more about them, and ninety five percent of the crowd didn't know who these two guys were. Uh. And they were putting on a very decent match. And actually, one of the best matches I've seen live was on that card after the telling off. And I don't know if it was the personality that just wanted to show, like, we can get these guys interested in something. Oh. But when I saw an elimination triple threat between Tyson, Kidd, Cesaro, and Dolph Ziggler on that card, that's one of the best matches I've ever seen. Oh. But even that didn't get the best of responses. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, did, did the crowd sort of get warmed up as the match? Because I remember one of my favourite... It's a weird little thing. Like, sometimes I like to people watch, uh, both on TV and in real life. Like, I have this weird thing that, like, if an attractive woman, like, walks like into your peripherals i don't actually look at the woman that much i'm fascinated to see if there's anyone that just does like really unsubtle just staring at them and they're you're fast- into the cartoon eyes aren't you? well yeah that's what kind of you know, and, the, and the tongue falling down and the, you know and everything else but um but like i remember watching canadian stampede one of the greatest two-hour shows in wrestling history only four matches on the card and it was the Takamichinoku versus Great Sasuke match. And, like, I think that was the first time any kind of junior heavyweight cruiserweight match was basically shown on WWF TV at the time because the cruiserweights were really picking up in WCW. And the crowd 
Like, it was a good Canadian... Like, the Canadian crowd... The Calgary crowd were obviously into their technical wrestling because they love Bret Hart. But, like, just gradually as the match went on and on, they got more and more into it. And I remember just seeing this one bearded bloke just sitting on, like, the third or the fourth row. And every time someone just got a really good kick or did an amazing high-flying move, he just sort of, like... uh, he sort of chuckled like he was just enjoying it and he'd never he'd never seen anything quite like it before so he couldn't quite comprehend it but he was loving it at the same time and it was just fascinating like and it was obviously like meant to be a showcase for the great Sasuke but I think Takamichinoku and it's maybe one of the reasons why Vince hates uh, masks so much through his facial expressions and his kind of natural charisma and his slightly more flashy high-flying uh, offense, uh, offense was like kind of won the crowd over and really they should have probably called an audible and have Michinoku win that match um but like so was there anything like that with the crowd like as it went on did they become more and more involved or was it like you say because a lot of that crowd were kids and probably the kids just wanted to see John Cena and maybe see Ryback and maybe see Roman Reigns and Triple H and they just didn't it didn't mean anything to them because they'd never been given anything to care about with uh, Cesaro, Ziggler, or... Um... Well, it was an IC title match, so... Mm. That... Well, we know how important that is. <laughs> well, that was back then, <laughs> definitely. Um, I think, in all summation, Vince did a lot more harm than good mm. when he came out. He confused that crowd. <laughs> well, like... He's confused viewers for the past 10 years. Because <laughs> if you look at it out of context, uh, a crowd where... Five percent of people know what know who the guys are in the ring. Watch a match, and kids go off emotional investment more than they do technical ability. Without wanting to sound too generalising, mm. um, so they they see this, and then it's like, okay, so it's kids, their their parents slash guardians who some of them are into the into it, some of them probably not so much, mm. and then obviously us going, well, this is pretty good, and then. With such little investment, Vince came out and acted like we should have cared about it like it was Michael's Hart Iron Man match at WrestleMania. Like he, he seemed to think that he could put just anything on mm. to an extent and we'd be just like eating it up. I don't know if he underestimates uh Britain or not. I'd love to ask um when i go in cjr next year i'd like to ask what vince's opinion on british fans are because i think that'd yeah be an interesting i would question. be curious about that so do you think that he thought he was putting on a good show yeah i think vince rarely thinks he puts on a bad show uh and i think he because apparently um jericho commented that when he came back for the curtain he just turned to all the um guys in the back and went well they can't be one mm. um but doesn't that imply that he's lost them to me because if, if you're paying a ticket to see a wrestling show, you want to be entertained. Now, uh, Robert, I want to bring you into this as well, because like, um, like you must have been to a few WWE shows around this, that, that have been like this sort of ratio. Uh, I've only been to one WWF live show, and you know I'm quite, pr- well, not proud to say, but I think it's curiosity, that it was the last ever televised WWF show. It was Insurrection 2002, and literally the next Monday Night Raw, like two days later, they became WWE. Uh, so that's my little curious, curious fact. And I remember I was with my two mates, and we were literally on the back row. And just to the right of us was one little four-year-old and his two parents, and they just did not want to be there, but they were there for the kid. But that ratio of like one really in- involved fan to two uninterested spectators can lead to sort of that that sort of um, hollow atmosphere, I suppose, and a big cavernous auditorium like that whereas you go to icw fan icw shows where everyone's like a you know you don't want to stereotype but like drunken psychopaths you know (laughs) (laughs) like like do you think that that is like 
because of the nature of what WWE goes, like the demographics they're going for, usually with youngsters, they kind of almost create a rob for their own back and then create those kind of atmospheres because they're not like a... They think they are, but they're not really giving enough for the, 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 the fans like us and, and Simon and, and yourself to cheer for. And therefore it just leads to a, a crowd that just does not seem interested, even though there's 10,000 of them there. Yeah, I've been to um, the last three WWE house shows at the the Hydro in Glasgow, which is like the new big venue that I keep hoping that they're going to do a live Raw from, because we never we never had a facility where they could before, mm. and they, they ran um, the WWE house shows from a, a, a hockey rink next to like a shopping centre about 20 minutes outside of the city centre. So well, I don't think and, they're going back to Liverpool, so you might have a shot there. <laughs> yeah, so the, but the, the kind of, the Hydro's is brand new, state-of-the-art thing and it's it's a fantastic venue actually tna did do a live impact Mm. from there which is maybe why vince is not interested (laughs) but uh so i've been to the last three there and they're just really dull like they're painfully dull because it is all the, the thing is in glasgow there is no real need for hardcore wrestling fans to pay 30 pounds or way more to get their wrestling fix. Mm. Uh, it used to be, like, I went to shows a couple of years ago where it would be a little bit kind of louder. And now, because we have such regular uh, ICW shows in Glasgow, as well as other companies as well, but, but mostly them, a lot of people that I know that would used to go to WWE house shows are now like, well, I can go to, like, three or four ICW shows and they're going to be more catered to what I want. So so now look, the, the Glasgow WWE shows are almost exclusively uh, parents and kids. And the last three times I've, I've, I've been, have been like, you, you can hear pin drop sometimes. And, yeah. and, and, the, and the, they only really seem to react to, they don't seem to come with this uh, desire to, to get into it. Like, I, I don't know, when, when I go to wrestling shows, I kind of have this thing before it where I'm kind of looking forward to being involved and sort of being involved in something and, and getting carried away by it but there's a sort of maybe this is just these shows in Glasgow I don't know if it changes city to city but they kind of come along and everyone just kind of sits sits there and just waits to be told what to do like I saw I think it was I don't know when it was it was within the last year anyway it was headlined by uh, Chris Jericho and Bray Wyatt uh, Jericho was just doing the the house show look for the UK because someone was injured and it was like this, it was just, the reaction just wasn't there, you know, like people react to the entrances and mm. then it goes very, very quiet for the matches until people start hitting signature spots. Mm. And Jericho did this thing where it was kind of masterful, but at the same time I was kind of going, wow, like he's actually relying on, on this kind of thing to, to get to get a, a reaction, where he was, he had Wyatt sort of prone and he started picking up objects that he was going to hit him with, but he started with something really small. Like he picked up like the microphone and people were like, yay. And then he picked up the ring bell and people were like, hey. Then he picked up a steel chair and people were like, hey. And then he finally, he pulled out like a, a table and people went ballistic. Like he got the biggest pop of the night. Mm. And, uh, and it was almost like he was sort of teasing noise out. So yeah, I kind of think that these shows are, are strange because I think even... Even the people that go to them know that that it, it, it it's kind of like going to the circus. You know, you're not mm. re- you're not seeing an episode of Raw. You're not really seeing anything with any stakes. So mm. maybe they're even. You know, six year olds are kind of like, well, 
it's cool to see these guys, but there's there's no, it's not like, because what they watch week to week is, you know, promos and interview segments and recap videos and stories. Well, mm. sometimes there are stories. and <laughs> But the, the, the house show is not that. It's just this series of matches that are, you know, thrown out in front of you really quickly. And I just don't think it engages very well, but they make a lot of money. So. Well, you just reminded me of a, so we're talking about like, you know, you sort of lose touch. Whilst I said, like, we, we maybe we've kept wrestling as an interest because we want to still feel like with that kid, that seven-year-old, six-year-old, five-year-old kid that first saw Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold Steve Austin, like our jaws dropped and we had to find out what this was. But like, uh, you have that naivety as a kid. You don't know these, you know, you don't know what a, a rest hold is you don't know what a you know calling a spot is you don't know what a botch is um you may like notice something subconsciously but it's not till later that it comes and i remember when i went to those old k-star shows at the sutton caulfield town hall i remember i once took my two little brothers and the son of this guy that my mom was going out with at the time an eccentric chap the, the chapter i write about this is my favorite chapter of the book i'm going to shamelessly plug my book throughout this whole podcast but um available now on amazon um but he um I remember my younger brother, Callum, went to the toilets during the interval. And there were two other kids, like, a few years younger than him. Like, maybe seven, six, seven, eight. And uh, one of them said to the other one, What do you think of the show so far? And the ki- the other kid goes, Yeah, it was all... It's good, but I was expecting, like, Stone Cold Steve Austin and X-Pac. I don't know who mm-hmm. any of these people are. So it's like... It's that it's that, then, that sense of maybe we're a bit detached from, like... Like, when I looked at... I remember when Ric Flair came out, that Insurrection show, and I started putting up four fingers in the air for, like, the four horsemen, because I'm so smart and I know something from 15 years ago. And and the kid next to me was just like, why, why are you putting four fingers up? And, like, having to try and go through, like, as short but as detailed a backstory of Ric Flair as possible that a five-year-old boy can understand was a very strange moment and it was kind of like why you know and this is the question I'll ask you I'll put to you too because you've both gone to shows that like really cold environments neither of you seem like you particularly enjoyed them maybe I'm putting words into your mouth why do you keep going back why Uh, do you keep going back specifically to WWE shows if you don't mind Robert I'd like to take this one first if Mm -hmm. that's okay um because I recently went to, and it sort of links into both yours and Robert's previous point. I went, I recently went to three WWE events in a week uh, when they did the uh, last rotation. I went to Raw, SmackDown, and on a whim, because tickets were still available, I went back to, it's now called the Capital FM Arena, I think. Uh, I went to the Nottingham House show on this um, run that they've done, and that was one of the quietest of uh, <clears throat> house shows I've ever been to. It, it's definitely not just a one city thing. Um, case in point, and sort of links to your Thor Horseman thing just then, when Bailey came out um, on a house show, I am confident that at least 10 to 15% of the crowd's noise was me. <laughs> <laughs> and to put it this way, I'm sort of sat behind the Titan Tron, sort of left hand side. So I'm actually just behind the line where the entrance would be. So I'm sat in one of the cheapest of cheap seats, and, and I'm almost certain she heard me <laughs> specifically. Uh, so it's just one of those things where you just like, because to me, Bailey is one of those characters that I think when she hits the main rosters, children are going to eat that up. They're going to love it. But because they have no idea who she is, even though she's like the perfect character for like, you know, young girls to buy those tassels and stuff like that. She is a walking merch machine. And when Vince realizes that God, she's going to get pushed to the moon. Mm. Uh, And it's just those moments. It's just like, 
why why don't you little kids watch NXT? What do you do with your lives? What, what's the latest trend? What are you? Stop what are you? What, around... Stop coloring in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just I found myself annoyed at so many. I've never been annoyed at thousands of children at once. <laughs> I was at that moment, and it, it just—that's the moment I think I definitively became the, uh, an old, a res- old wrestling curmudgeon <laughs> compared to like the average age of people that attend house shows. But the reason I go to them is because you get little things that you won't get on television. Like I saw the New Age Outlaws months before their latest run, when it, they teamed up with Sheamus uh, at the NEC to fight the Shield. That, that that was uh, so. I've seen the New Age Outlaws versus the Shield, which I thought was pretty cool. And obviously, that was months before their like, mm. like their tiny match at WrestleMania, mm. where it was lost. They all got lost in a shuffle. Really, mm. I've seen the Miz do one of the best promos I've ever seen live on a house show. Mm. I've seen Bray Wyatt have a temper tantrum in the ring wow. on a house show. Uh, that was Nottingham, where he tried to put up a table and it sort of collapsed, and he lost his cool for a second. <laughs> And the crowd were like, Woo! That was one of the loudest reactions of the night. <laughs> and it's weird because the loudest, the loudest pop of the night wasn't even Roman, it was Ryback. So yeah. that shows you how, I, I guess, kid-orientated house shows have become. Uh, Robert, similarly to you then, has, uh, have you, like Simon, become uh, infurious with thousands of young children uh, after being to, at a wrestling event? Um, yeah, I actually, well, oh, a, thank God. Couple, a couple of things have popped into my head there. One on the, on the Bailey thing, I, I, she was at the, the Glasgow house show as well. And it was horrifying because I was really excited mm. when it, it was announced that she was going to be there. And on social media, they were, everybody was like, oh my God, Bailey and Sasha Banks are both on this, this circuit. Like they're the two women on the tour. Like they're going to wrestle each other tonight in glasgow and i was just like oh my god mm. and uh, and then it ended up being like a, a like a tag team thing mm. with uh, somebody else i can't remember it's naomi what? and sasha versus uh, is it someone like it's not natalia or something it like is that. natalia yeah, it yeah is natalia. you're right yeah yeah, yeah we, and, i think we've seen the exact same match probably and, did, at, at your show did bailey come out to the wrong music no right so at glasgow i don't know what happened her her tron was correct but the music, which obviously is a big part of the the Bailey thing, was some other thing. And I was trying and, to think if, if it goes alphabetical. I'm now imagining she coming out to Batista's music instead. <laughs> well, it, 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 actually, it turned out what it was is that apparently they didn't have even you know Spotify or anything because the theme that they used was like some kind of old theme that she used when she first started out uh, in okay. NXT. So. And it was just this horrible genetic thing. And I was like, what is this? But then, like, two weeks later, I was at the NXT house show at the same building. And she came out to the right music. She had the wacky inflatable arm flailing tube men. And all was right with the world. So oh, see, we that. had the moment, because uh, we went to the Sheffield one. And we had the moment where one of them broke. <gasps> and she, uh, it sort of, like, got twisted round. And then uh, typical British people, as she was, like, won the ring hat, like, one of the uh, crew was just like, gesturing this is how you fix it to her and as she was slowly unraveling this tube man the whole british oh <laughs> and the moment it shoots up to the air like the one of the biggest cheers i've ever heard it was incredible okay when so, you were talking about the like little things that you see at house shows that you don't see one of the things that i, I like telling people this because it was so infuriating because even i got caught up in this 
it was the house show last April, just after WrestleMania 31, and they did a Goldust Stardust match. And this didn't really get reported. Like, I thought this would be something that would end up sort of on a sort of dirt sheet cycle or something because it was just so... It killed, basically. Stardust did the promo that killed the crowd for the rest of the night. They were second out and the crowd never recovered from this promo uh. because, because Stardust came out and told everybody that the Royal Rumble was going to be coming to the Hydro in Glasgow. Oh, God. Right? So, now... Uh, the, Obviously, when you when you really think when you really think about it, why would they send Stardust out to tell people that? But he came out and he was talking like Cody, and I get that that was the point. You know, he was trying to get heat, and he sort of he delivered it like he was genuinely been asked to come out and make this like you do it. Like why it was I don't know why they didn't get you know Lily and Garcia to do it or something at the start of the show. Like oh my god, and and, and in that moment, even I for about ten seconds was like, yeah, they, maybe they will do this. <laughs> and, the, and and the place erupted like the, it was like oh my god they're coming to the UK to do a pay per view and he he milked it and and then he went then he just like was like nah I'm just saying that and, but he, he he said something some lame lame cartoon heel thing he was something about you know oh but they changed their mind because you're all too ugly or something like that <laughs> and but people didn't boo him everybody just went really silent like Aww. oh so so we're so we're not getting the Royal Rumble, you okay? And then just the, the rest of the night, everyone was just kind of like, "Oh well, mm. <laughs> I guess that's not happening." And it just, oh, it's such a just backfire completely. Okay, so let's get let's get to this now. Um, NXT. Now the the NXT demographic is a very very different demographic to the WWE's main demographic, and I'm going to stop saying demographic now. Um, but. It, Let's look at this evolving of this particular kind of crowd. The crowd that is part of the show and maybe in their own minds think they're an even bigger part of the show than they actually are. Now, if we want to go all the way back to me, this started with ECW. It started with, uh, like, it's like how um, it, when, you, when you read stories about the punk movement starting in London and in New York, or you hear about the ska movement starting in Coventry, or grunge in Seattle, like, that was what it was with wrestling. Like, hardcore wrestling became, like, a genre of wrestling, and it was born in Philadelphia and the Northeast, or at least this version of it was. And with that came ECW. And what was the most popular chant throughout the entire history of the promotion? It was the own promotion's initials. Wrestlers came and went. Sabu came and went and came back. Sandman, Raven, all of them. Just incredible. You know, all you of them were there. You know, yep. little things like you that. You sold out little things. So it became this part of, like, we are ECW, not the champions. The champion is not the standard bearer of this promotion. They're not the poster boy of this promotion. We're the poster boy of this promotion. And 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 from there, like what's interesting with that, if if you if you make ECW like punk, then to me, like in two thousand and one, I'm gonna go really wanky here. It sort of splits off, just like how punk did, sort of in nineteen seventy nine and so on. And like different types of fans that were drawn to ECW went to different areas. Those that were into, like, the violence and the blood and the guts, then they went to CZW or XPW. 
And the, and they're like the equivalent of the punk fans that maybe started watch, getting into either heavy metal music or hardcore music like Black Flag and, and uh, Minor Threat and all that sort of stuff. And then the ones that were into it because of the like uh, the alternative nature of it, the, the no-selling-out aspect of it, the, the Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero school of wrestling that was brought from ECW, they went off into Ring of Honor, and they went off into Chikara and PWG. And so that's where you kind of get like the, the metalheads against the hipsters. And and that's, again, like like... Like when I was a huge Ring of Honor fan when it started, like I basically stopped watching WWE, but I, I followed Ring of Honor. I tried to get the DVDs that I could on the on a, via eBay or what have you. I even won a contest to name one of the Ring of Honor shows, uh, which was called the Battle Lines Are Drawn. That was the one. That was the first. Uh, that was the beginning of the feud between the Second City Saints and the Prophecy. See, I remember all these things. And one of the interesting things that came about from that was like wrestling fans would mock Ring of Honor fans. Non-ROH fans would call Ring of Honor fans robots, ROH bots. And so they became that sort of like, sort of wrestling hipster kind of thing. And and these are the sort of people that would need, you know, like a, a card was not a good card unless there were a minimum number of three-star and four-star matches. Um, so, do you, what I mean, what do you guys think about that, that sort of identity? What, what were your, uh, what was your knowledge of Ring of Honor, ECW, CZW? Uh, Robert, since you're like my contemporary versed, maybe was it the same with you? Or did you not really pay attention to Ring of Honor? And then Simon, maybe you, you came in when Ring of Honor started, so you would have been a bit behind the times before you even really found out about it. So, uh, Robert, I'd be interested to see if that's the same for you. Um, yeah, with Ring of Honor... It was just when you mentioned the whole chant and the company's name thing, I just always think about um, Jim Cornette becoming like apoplectic with rage over that phenomenon. Like he just, he hates, I mean, he hates a lot of things. He gets very angry about a lot of things, but he hates it because he was like, these two guys have just done some, you know, spine breaking spot and you're now going to chant the company's name. Like you're not chanting their name and you get so angry about it. But they're also basically chanting us, us, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because and and the reason and, and the reason there has never, ever, to my knowledge, been a dub dub e chant <laughs> ever is uh, because um, it, who who can identify with such a massive corporation, right? It's a it's a big capitalist. It's thing, not that but... they don't try to get you to do that though, because the amount of faces that have gone, the company doesn't belong to you, Steph and. Trip Triple H, it belongs to them. The yeah. universe. Mm. Like they're they're trying to get you to. I think they think that that's the height of them being accepted by the uh, cool kids. Is getting that over. with with them is I thought I, I wrote something about this when CM Punk did his podcast with uh, Colt Cabana. Actually, the, the it's uh, ECW sold itself as a as a brand. Like you were part of a subculture. Like you were saying, you know, you were. You were buying into something. It didn't really matter who was there so much. Like you appreciated the people that were there, and, and some people came and some people left. But you were buying into a lifestyle almost, mm. which is kind of similar um, to what ICW sells, and I think yeah. what uh, Progress Wrestling sells in London as well. The sort of you know I see people with like tattoos and things like that uh, with the, the logos and all that kind of stuff. Um, for for me, WWE has always been about the characters, but there was a point, I think, in the sort of early two thousands, where they started to 
shift it a little bit and now now like you know people are, we're talking about the house shows that's why it's in my mind is that sort of some people will say well you know why aren't these house shows any good like how can they do a show in the uk that kids are buying tickets for and john cena's not on it mm. and it's like well they don't consider themselves any more character-based company that they sell wwe like like disneyland sell um breakfasts with characters it's like who do you get does it matter could be donald could be goofy if you're lucky it's mickey and that's a little bit like wwe when they when they when they tour you know will you get john cena maybe maybe not and i think that's where there's like a, a sort of uh where the dissatisfied wwe fan is bred because i think there was a point where they decided we're just going to sell a brand but people people wanted to see hulk hogan or yeah. stone cold steve austin or bruno san martino or whoever they didn't necessarily come just because it, it, it was wwf or wwwf um but the ring of honor thing was uh i, I sort of fell away from wrestling watching properly in the mid 2000s like there was a couple of years where i'd only checked in now and again and, and i mostly followed it um on dirt sheets and stuff like that so i didn't really and but i would like if, if a big pay-per-view was happening like a wrestlemania or a SummerSlam or something with a match that looked interesting I'd, I'd, I'd dip into it but so ring of honor i didn't really start uh pay much attention to until late 2008 mm. uh which you know some people would argue you know the golden days were already yeah coming. that was kind of but... around the time i stopped following it because gabe sapolsky left and as weird as it sound it felt like it's almost like when a great showrunner leaves a tv show it's like when yeah. Aaron sorkin left the west wing it was no longer the west wing as weird as that seems i still am an admirer of ring of honor and the star does but it, it did lose that i guess that was what i always attached to that was my emotional bond that idea that i was watching this vision from start to theoretical finish when it like ran out of business or, or whatever but that wasn't the case it was just like another just a thing you know just a thing that will keep on existing and it's existed like twice as long as ecw has now which is crazy to think about but that at that point there was a sort of my real my hook for for Ring of Honor was actually um, Daniel Bryan Bryan mm. Danielson I guess mm. you've got to do you're not a wrestling fan if you don't use their other names right <laughs> when we're talking about their indie runs mm. so uh, somebody somebody said to a friend of mine was like you love this guy and I was like oh okay so that that he was kind of my guide back sort of I would go back through the Ring of Honor sort of archives the best I could. Uh, with borrowing you know DVDs and things like that to to catch up on, mm. and and that's and that's how I first found out about, uh, or I first saw like Samoa Joe or Chris Hero or CM Punk or or any that kind of whole generation of guys who have sort of woven their way into various different companies, mm. institutional histories now. But that was so yeah, Ring of Honor. I didn't I didn't have that kind of organic uh, following of it like you did. Mm. Uh, how about you, uh, Simon? What's your knowledge of east like say you 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 became a fan of wrestling and ecw no longer existed you know uh things like ecw um obviously rvd was like one of the main like connections i had until the time of me getting smart and having access to a lot more content because it's like oh this guy used to call himself mr monday night back when he was like well he wasn't on those shows back then and then it's like oh no you're talking about this other thing Mm. and uh, things like that and then you get obviously the fans in some cities when something happened on the WWE show and they would chant ECW or something like that and it's like okay so it's an extreme kind of thing and then you just naturally find out more and more about it when you go more and more into the world of professional wrestling Mm. Uh, Ring of Honor I sort of found out a little bit because 
I, I was starting to branch out into TNA a little bit towards the tail end of school time in terms of watch keeping up with their um, productions during their time with uh, the under back when Samojo was undefeated in TNA mm. to go back that far, um, which seems like when it was good. <laughs> back when it was good, yeah, exactly. Um, Angler just joined. You know, it was like okay, this is a when I get annoyed with the way that WWE is going sometimes I can watch this great alternative and it's more accessible as it's on challenge mm. that a lot more people have and it was run at you know reasonable times mm-hmm. <clears throat> and DVDs of that they were like less stringent with copyright stuff so there was probably like better quality streams out there as well for <laughs> it uh, but then you just like learn about bits and bits and more and more and especially now so much stuff is so much so readily available if i wanted to see for example wrestle kingdom 10 i i don't have to uh like stay up late to watch wrestle kingdom 10 and things like that mm. uh but now i know what wrestle kingdom 10 is partly because again of power slam but again it's just through find wanting to find out where some guys had come from mm. where some guys are going to uh, New Japan got a lot in- more interesting when I was following the whole lawsuit saga that uh, Brock Lesnar went through when he started out there. I think that's mm. what really drew me towards New Japan. What legal well, proceedings? From... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, no, it's just like, okay, he's over there now, but like, mm. WWE kicking off about it. And then he started calling the F5 the verdict. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I remember that. That's great. Uh, so it, it was just like, okay, so he's gone over there and then learning more about like so that was his next step he didn't come straight back uh then he went to was it i can't follow the chronology then then he went to ufc yeah 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 he went to yeah. UFC after that. Um, so so it was just finding out little bits through again it's the core interest of wwe and power slam but then it's sort of naturally branching off sort of when you click through wikipedia pages and then next thing you know you're looking up 15th century uh ale for yeah. techniques at four in the morning yeah doing with your life <laughs> uh, i've always wondered this about japanese wrestling like it's like are there other japanese wrestling equivalents of us smart fans doing podcasts and the like you know that other are they similarly like always knocked off of what new japan's doing like uh oh man they put the belt on hiroshi tanahashi again oh god here come the 57 moves of doom <laughs> I, I, i'm just curious like you, you don't know about these like you know like you know about certain things like I think that's one thing that's been slightly exaggerated about Japan. Like, oh, they're always really quiet. Well, they're quiet at the beginning, but by the halfway point, they're blowing the roof off the place. You know, they're all screaming and and really like emotionally invested into it. And uh, uh, yeah, and, and but it's like like here's an interesting question for you actually. Like um, for both of you, I'll go, I'll go to I'll, I'll, I want to pick up more on NXT, and I also want to ask you about ICW, Robert, and maybe this will build it in if you were to watch a wrestling show today and you could not only could you pick the card but you could pick what crowd like what particular crowd from a particular era or whatever to be there and to make the noise what's like what's your favorite crowd from a particular era of wrestling do you have one like, I guess I'm kind of hmm. you on the spot I've never, I've never thought about that before hmm. let me well I, I'll it's funny because like maybe maybe I'll, 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 it would be ICW or ECW or maybe but maybe watching on TV would be something else. I don't know. I actually like honestly. I think I would probably have ended up picking a kind of. I actually see a crowd like two thousand or something mm. like that, where there was a sort of there was a lot of noise and atmosphere, but 
not a lot of organization <laughs> yeah uh, because it's funny that you were talking about these crowds like i feel like it's in the last uh, 18 months two years or so that people that wrestling pundits or whatever you want to call them have really sort of started to have conversations about the crowd other than they were a hot crowd or they were really quiet and the thing is although the, the ecw crowd was, was was crazy i they weren't particularly disruptive and and they kind of carried the stories that they intended to be talking about along um, as they went and they, they, yeah they were crazy and they were loud and they chanted stuff and, and all that kind of stuff but it, they didn't ever seem to to break with uh, uh, the the illusion that the 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 wrestlers were trying to create. I, I don't think they were sort of all part of that um, aesthetic. I guess there's the example of like them booing Tommy Dreamer until he proved himself. I suppose is the one that they always like to bring up. Yeah, well that's uh, that, that's true. Also, they sort but of then they were like part of the story, weren't they? Yeah, they, they made that part of the story. But I think what's interesting is I think that the the, the crowds that. I think we're going to get on to eventually talking about, and, and this <laughs> this is related to NXT as well. And I might rant. <laughs> yeah, it really, really started the night after WrestleMania 29. Mm. Because it almost felt like that for as, as long as it had been around, although there was little things like the sort of Cena, the one night stands and, yes. and things like that, or or the CM Punk in Chicago uh, with the uh, Money in the Bank 2011, mm. it sort of felt like, up until then, a lot of crowds treated wrestling, whether they were the, the loud crowds of the Attitude Era or the slightly quieter crowds of the, the later 2000s, they, they treated it like theatre, where you know they went there and they sort of paid some kind of respect to... Although that's... Well, that's Panto, a lot of their I guess. Panto. They did yeah. the... They booed the... The sheriff of Nottingham. They yelled, "He, you know, he's behind you. They yelled, oh, no, he isn't, yeah. and, and like they, that. That that night, because the, the thing is, WWE is this big thing. It's this big corporation. This big presentation every Monday night. It's this established juggernaut television product. And I just felt like that night after WrestleMania twenty nine was the night that the, the crowd kind of realized they were like, actually, we can we can do anything we want. <laughs> we, we have strength we can, in numbers. Yeah, we could actually derail this a little bit. And that was, and we'll probably yeah we'll probably talk a bit more about it. But the it, that was a sort of a, a real shift, I think, when suddenly they went, "Oh, like we could, we can do just about anything," mm. and they can't really tell us to not do it mm. because they have to keep the kind of illusion of the show. They can't really, well, although they did, as we already know, they did at one point send Vince out to tell everyone to change what they were doing, but <laughs> uh, in the reverse situation. But yeah, I guess if I was picking a crowd, probably like. The, the the kind of crowd that went crazy when uh, when 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 Steve Austin turned up to help mankind win the title. Yeah, that kind of yeah, that, yeah. Kind, that kind of crowd. Because they I were mean, still I, booing The Rock, you know. Even though The Rock was the most entertaining, one of the most entertaining guys on the show, kind of like the New Day are now, but obviously, but even greater. He was a heel, and therefore they still booed him and cheered Mick Foley. I don't know that they would do that nowadays, you know. No, oh, yeah, I, I imagine that now would be like a that would be like a split crowd. Yeah, let's go rock, let's go Foley. Yeah, how about you, Simon? You've given time and thought. Do you know what what era crowd you would have? I'd pretty much take the same as Robert. Uh, it it'd be that kind of crowd. It's the signs. It's mm. it's not just the noise. It's just the oh, level yeah, of signs yeah. and the creativity in in the signs. It is crazy when you look at those rabid crowds in '98 and all yeah. the signs and everything. It's uh, it's the crowd that f- 
I wouldn't pick necessarily. I think my favorite crowd isn't the Foley winning the title crowd. It's the uh, Zamboni crowd <laughs> where he, he leaps and then there's that inflatable that just hits the. Oh, that, yeah. That's 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 my favorite attitude ever crowd moment because it's just some guy. I don't know what the inflatable's meant to be off, but he's just launched something in the ring just out of excitement. Not in like a way like ECW Public Enemy style or. Uh, when Jeff Jarrett won King of the Mountain again in mm. TNA and fans just chucked rubbish at him. <laughs> it, it was just the case of, oh, I'm so excited, I'm just going to chuck whatever, like, this, this, <laughs> this thing I've got. It could have been a baby. It could have yeah. been anything. It, it, it's just that kind of passion that you get to see. Um, mm. But I think, back to my point of them, all the baby faces in recent years, you're saying that the, the the company belongs to the WWE universe. The lines that have been given to babyfaces in a way have sort of encouraged the crowd to get to that point where the roar after WrestleMania 29, you're like, you know what? This, this show really belongs to us. We're the ones paying to see this. Um, we'll, we'll just try and make what we want happen, essentially. Okay, so I'll just quickly answer on my end. Uh, I will... Uh, to deviate from you guys, I think an attitude crowd is great. Sometimes they're a bit, you know, uh, homophobic or sexist or whatever. So my, my PC, as well as it sounds, I'm about to say my PC sensibilities would either go with, um, if it was a small venue, I'd probably go with like a PWG crowd. Uh, because there was an interesting thing on the new Botchamania recently where Chuck Taylor says when he slipped on the top rope and like got his legs caught in the ropes, he said if that had been a CZW crowd or whatever, they would have yelled, you fucked up, you fucked up. But the PWG fans were all like really concerned for him. There's that really, really tight-knit community there with PWG, and they're very self-policing. You should like read their guidelines on their forums about what, what, what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior so that they, they kind of police themselves really well. Uh, or... And this is really going against like PC. I would go for a Southern States crowd from like the eighties. You know, those. <laughs> oh, you want to see like... someone get stabbed? Well, no, no, that's like that's like the Mexican. Well, that sounds really dodgy, but you know what I mean. Like I'm talking about, I'm talking about like if you watch the first Clash of the Champions show, and they are going mad over everything. Every bit of every bit of offense from the good guys gets cheered and every bit of chicanery and cheating from the heels is booed out of the building. They they just keep higher the crescendo from the start to finish. That's what I want. I guess as weird as it sounds like because like there's a weird thing like there's like with when you get smartened up, there's like a different narrative in front of you. You're not watching Triple H, the evil heel, using evolution as a means of winning, holding onto the belt. You're watching Triple H, aka Paul Levesque, using his backstage clouds in order to never lose the title and always look good. Like Triple H in 2002 was like the ultimate heel because literally every type of fan hated him. You know, it was that weird um, period because like, like, because like in 1998, like. So many times, uh, online fans would get furious because Chris Benoit didn't win, and like they would always say, "This is shit because Chris Benoit didn't win." It could be like a huge, great show, and and like all the, but but Chris Benoit didn't beat Booker T, or Chris Benoit lost to um, you know uh, Perry Saturn, and and like like reading guys like Scott Keith and those sort, they would always say they're not pushing the right people, they're not pushing the people I like, therefore that's why they're going out of business, and like. People always want to sort of, and, and, and I guess you kind of have that now with Daniel Bryan. People are like saying, not, we need to have our opinion validated. So I guess what I'm going to ask from there is, are these fans, these particular fans, especially the fans you get in NXT, are they entitled? 
are they too entitled and do they need to like there's this great moment I was told I remember like kind of with Vincent Mann saying you're not cheering you're not booing I remember there was this time that like TNA came out and TNA fans can be notoriously you know especially when they were in Orlando were notoriously kind of you know very snarky and like Mick Foley like got really annoyed at them like he's got with the NXT crowds and they basically said you have a role to play and we kind of fans do have a role to play and when the NXT fans are cheering on Bailey and you know and so on that they're doing kind of the right job but then when like the there's I remember when the Eva Marie thing was going on like just loads of the fans were just entertaining themselves by singing songs to themselves and, and like you're you're then ruining the product and like Kevin Owens said they became like the John Cena of wrestling fans the full sale crowd and then they became all entitled and got furious when Brooklyn got a, a big match and they were like no this is ours like you get you've got like 1500 fucking hours of great wrestling and you insist on having one match for you so I guess like that's the question is the 21st century fan particularly like I guess these fans at the post raw WrestleManias a lot of them British it must be said are they are they entitled are they do they need to kind of look at themselves in the mirror and, and kind of grow up a bit? Ooh. I'll leave that open to which one of you wants to take that hot potato. Um, I I don't know if they need to grow up. I think there's a lot of splintering and subdivisions in mm. these crowds. Like some of them, like the NXT London crowd, were just really into it. Mm. I think for the most part, they just seemed kind of really into the show and they wanted to do like they like they wanted to act like they were at the darts or something you know yes. they were all just like they, it was they were very saying, yeah people were saying yeah. football crowd it was a darts crowd it was a darts, it was crowd. darts crowd and that's and, and you know I, I think the performers enjoyed it but then you know nxt has so much goodwill it wasn't like any of them were going to be turned on like uh, sheamus and randy orton if they turned up or something like that it would have been an absolute bloodbath but the i, I don't know because sometimes i think that like the, 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 that post WrestleMania twenty nine crowd, I mean, for me, it really it, everything just kind of crumbled when John Cena did the heel turn joke, where he actually literally turned his heel, and I was just like, oh my god, like, this is what you have to do to get these guys on site. This is absolutely falling apart. But then at some points, it was almost protest, and I understood why they were doing it because they were getting given, you know, a pretty shitty show. But then, is that fair on the guys? You know, it's not, it's not necessarily Sheamus and Randy Orton's. Mm. A decision to do it. I'm not really sure. And then the Eva Marie thing, I actually found, I, I find myself uh, shifting a little bit because sometimes I'm like, oh, give them a break. Like they're 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 having fun. And then the Eva Marie one did actually annoy me because is you know as rubbish as she is, the, <laughs> the, the the way that they presented that match was really really good. Yeah. And 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 it was a really good story. And the whole kind of uh, the pre match bit where she was getting gifts from corporate and. <laughs> You know, really setting up this idea that they would want her to be the champion because she's this sort of multimedia star and she's she's gorgeous and she's uh, she's got total divas and all that kind of stuff. I was like, they're telling a really good story here. And do you they're think doing that's uh, the, the their point. their way of trying to like capitalize on it, or do you reckon that's their like their snarky jibe back to people? Like uh, they were working the crowd. They were working the crowd. They were like they're like um, Nick Bockwinkle, you know, deciding you don't get to say that this match is boring. I'll get to decide what's boring <laughs> and what's not boring. You know, they played them like a fiddle, and they were fans that thought that they were so much smarter. They thought they knew. Ev- they thought they were smart, and basically through that show, they were like, oh, "You're not as quite as smart as you think you are." There's still that seven-year-old kid inside of you that thinks, you know. 
that can't believe that the Ultimate Warrior lost to Sergeant Slaughter, even if it made complete booking sense, you know? <laughs> well, the thing was, is obviously, I think the, the, that NXT credit, expect, what they expected was for uh, Eva Marie to come out and to have an absolute shit show of a match with Bailey that was really embarrassing and it would prove them all right. And instead, they got something they did not deserve. They did the, the whole Paul Heyman, uh, you know, accentuate the positives and hide the negatives. They took mm. everything that works about the Eva Marie character. They went, well, what do they hate her for? Right, well, we're going to have her do all that stuff on that show. Like, she is going to be exactly who they think she is for an hour. But did the and, sh- and, then, and then they went out and they told they told a really good story in the ring, but then they, they kind of rejected it a little bit. And I, I thought they, that was a bit crap of them to do that. But did the Full Sail fans get that? Did they get that they got worked? Do you know? Or do they think that they, you know, did they get that they they played exactly into their hands I'm and they sure, manipulated them? I, you said something earlier on, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I, I keep meaning to mention this, that I think that now, and the more that it happens, the more, like, the, the Eva Bailey thing keeps confirming it in my mind, that I think that we're in a period now where the most successful storylines are are ones that combine what fans think they know about what's actually happening in the real world of of WWE and a sort of fictionalized version of it like CM Punk in 2011 Mm -hmm. was the the hottest thing because the story on television so closely mirrored what everybody believed was happening backstage the Daniel Bryan thing took off because they, not just because the casual fans were like, hey, this little guy's really good and we think he's awesome, because a lot of the fan base were energised because they really thought he was being, and I mean, and he was to a certain extent, being marginalised. And, and so they, they take something like the Eva Marie situation, they're like, well, what do the fans think of her? Let's make that her character. Let's make the that Eva what Marie she does. situation sort of a continuation of when they tried to manufacture those situations to the greatest extent when they started having matches on SmackDown, uh, Divas matches, where oh, uh, Summer Rae turned up and Natalia slapped her outside the front porch, so now they must fight for three weeks on yeah. SmackDown. <clears throat> Whereas Eva Marie is being given the undeserving title on Total Divas as well. So it's sort of she's what the profile she's built on Total Divas and like the, the complaints, like particularly like people like Brie Bella and Paige had at the time that she, oh, what, how dare she not train with the rest of us? How dare she like, you know, go and receive private training with Brian Kendrick. That sort of, it's spoiled in title corporate persona was built on Total Divas the, inter- the people had it already because she had the right look and the smart internet fans had that so in a way that could be their way of going okay let's get casual people to think the way that the smart people do so then we can push it in a simple manner but no casual person is watching nxt i've got to think a large number of the nxt fans aren't watching total divas i'm certainly not i can't stand american reality shows like you know like like you know there are some people who you know just can't comprehend the popularity of wrestling i can't comprehend the popularity of reality shows specifically american ones but like um because there's that that is that we like you say it's got to work on two levels but this is why i mean this is something i'm interested in and uh there's one other point i do still want to talk about icw but we're gonna have to go back to that in a, in a bit um you know how they argue that Vince McMahon never... They, people always say, oh, Vince McMahon has no idea who Bobby Roode is, or Vince McMahon had never seen a Cactus Jack match. I don't think he should. Because the vast majority of people that watch WWE don't watch any other wrestling. And that used to be all three of us would have at one point not watched WWE, anything other than WWE wrestling. The first time anyone would have seen Daniel Bryan 
was as Daniel Bryan. They wouldn't have seen Bryan Danielson. And that's why it always drove me crazy that Vince's logic was that it was a small uh, number of smart fans that liked Daniel Bryan and the rest of the general public didn't. That's so much bullshit because for two years or so, Daniel Bryan got decent reactions from the crowd, but more often it was more like because he was against The Miz and they cared about The Miz far more than they cared about Daniel Bryan. As much as we want to believe that not to be the case, that was the case. Um, So, because like, as weird as it sounds, I don't know if that CM Punk storyline made entire sense from what was presented on screen. Because what was presented on screen was that CM Punk would lose more often than he would win. Whereas John Cena would win all the time. If you look within the reality of the the TV show that's presented to you, that's the equivalent of, like, I don't know, someone who plays for Middlesbrough suddenly complaining that he's not the striker for the England team and Wayne Rooney is. You know, like, like, CM Punk was not at John Cena's level at that point, but he claimed that he was, and it's like, well, not based on in-ring win-loss results, you weren't, mate. That was a weird... Like, like I love the pipe bomb promo, but sometimes you've got to think, what the hell does a seven-year-old kid watching WWE think about that? And the seven-year-old kids are probably just as big a proportion of people that watch wrestling, if not more so, than we are. You know, it's just they're not making a two-hour-long podcast about it. But are the seven-year... It's... Are the seven-year-old kids the only people really interested in the win-loss record as a whole, though? Well, they're not. You know, they're not keeping a record of it. Probably the online community are keeping more of a record of it. But like, you know, if 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 in nineteen ninety, uh, if in nineteen eighty-nine, Bret Hart had come out and said, "I'm a much better wrestler than Hulk Hogan is," like maybe he was. But to to my, you know, to the logic of everyone that was watching, it was like, "What are you talking about? Hulk Hogan beat Andre the Giant. You get beaten by like a second rope axe handle from Tully Blanchard half the time." You know, there's like, because like you said, post Montreal, there's like these two different audiences and it's like got to go on two different levels. And this is where I'm going to go into now, because I'm assuming all three of us have seen Star Wars. Have you seen Star Wars, Simon? The new one? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. Uh, We can't go into it too much then. Or do you mind if we spoil it for you or? Uh, Yeah, I'd I'd rather not. Okay, okay, okay. I won't go into, I won't go into plot details, but all I'll say is like, there's two stories going on with that Star Wars film. There's like the the straightforward narrative of these new characters, and there's the legacy of Star Wars going on at the same time. Like, so yeah, that I kind of picked up already. Yeah, because like here's here's a key thing. This is the first line in the Star Wars movie after the scroll. This isn't giving anything away to you, but the first line in this Star Wars movie is, "This should start to put things right." Now, that has two completely different meanings. It's, and it's obvious what J.J. Abrams meant and Lawrence Kasdan meant when they said that. It means we're going to continue fighting the big bad guys, or, but it's also them saying, yeah, the prequels were shit, we're going to try and do it right from now on. That is, like, that's not me reading too much into it. I guarantee you that's what they meant when they did that. And there was, there were, one of my problems with this new Star Wars movie was there was too much fan service. There were bits in it that just didn't need to be there and didn't mean anything. Like, there's a bit where they knock over a table and suddenly the chess game from the first Star Wars film comes on. And you just get 20 seconds of that. What the fuck does that mean about anything? It doesn't mean anything. And then it's not a story. It's Star Wars the phenomenon, you know? It's a spot fest. It's, it's a, a Star Wars spot yeah, fest. Yeah, it's, 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 it's references. It, it, it takes you out of that moment. It's one step away from Jay and Silent Bob turning and looking at the camera, you know? So it's like... I sometimes wish, like I said, like I wish that the crowd was more like the NWA crowds from the 1980s. I sometimes, at least for the WWE, for ICW, the crowd there is perfect for them. For Progress, the crowd's perfect for them. 
WWE, I kind of wish that the crowd was the old crowd from the 80s, because I still feel like that's the audience that Vince McMahon is marketing towards, and I feel like maybe Vince McMahon's vindicated for doing that. This is me kind of slightly playing devil's advocate out there. But, um, Robert, I know you uh, enjoyed the Star Wars fan film. I think you put it down as one of your top ten of the year, didn't you? Uh, am I, I right? Did, I, I almost didn't put it in. Mm. Uh, I ended up slotting it in because of factoring in how much of a experience it was to go see a Star Wars film and mm. to generally enjoy it. But um, I think like the, the, the fan service problem in pop culture is a big bugbear. Mm. For me, like, is have you both seen Jurassic World? Yes, piece of crap. <laughs> no, I've not seen it, but I don't mind if you spoil that one. Right, okay. <laughs> so there's a there's a bit in that where, and this this is just oh, where the the new characters literally stumble into the set from the original movie, like they find like the the visitor center from Jurassic Park, and there's like the, the whole film stops it comes to a complete halt while these new characters wander around with wide-eyed wonder mm. and this sort of twinkling version of the jurassic park theme plays on the soundtrack and they're like wow look at this and it was a moment where they beat the filmmakers were just saying okay everybody let's just stop and take a little minute to feel really nostalgic about how, how brilliant this all was uh, 20 years ago mm. and that just Oh, it irritates me so much. And there's stuff like um, the Sherlock special from from New Year mm. New Year's Day that was just such like uh, Stephen Moffat writes for Tumblr fangirls. Like that's, <laughs> that's that's who he writes his television for. He writes... Do you think he originally wanted to cast Ryan Gosling as Moriarty? I don't really. I, I don't. He just writes for gifts. Like he he. He he constructs scenes that can be can be split down to like tiny little animations that girls can be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> and uh, just so yeah, he, he he reads what fans are saying about the show and then he he writes that into the fabric of the show. And I guess and I've never really thought about it from the wrestling point of view because it's not so much um, nostalgia because there's nothing nostalgic about CM Punk or Daniel Bryan or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, how much should I mean? I guess the the, the tension is between. How much you should do it because the fans are saying they want it to happen, or how much should you do it because it's just plain a good idea? Like for mm. me, I think that making Daniel Bryan the underdog that went to WrestleMania and toppled the authority was just the best idea mm. at that point in time. But like, like a seven-year-old can follow that story from the authority storyline, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but then, like you say, the CM Punk thing was complete fan service. But what they what they lucked out on was that it somehow managed to sort of... And I still... I'm kind of baffled that it did. It did capture um, mainstream attention. And I think the kind of whole podcast culture was mm. kind of born from... Cause I, don't remember, I don't remember really listening to... I mean, I know that the Wrestling Observer and stuff existed before that. But I remember Dave Lagana's We Want Wrestling movement, which was based on Twitter. Like, live tweet and raw became more of a thing post the pipe bomb i agree with you there yeah you want wrestling became a podcast not just a hashtag after the pipe bomb thing and that was the point where everyone started talking about what should and shouldn't be happening and i think the the, the problem is is that with make, making the comparison it's like well they probably shouldn't be doing too much fan service in in these sort of blockbuster films because there are great stories to be told there without it mm-hmm. um unfortunately with wrestling sometimes the fan service stories can could be the great stories like i i guess the one that 
people have been harping on about for years. I don't really agree. Is the John Cena heel turn thing? Yeah. But I, 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 you know, I can look at it and say, well, you know, regardless of whether the fans want, there, there is a compelling story there if, if, if they've got a creative team smart enough to write it. I don't, I don't, I don't think they'll ever do it. But the the CM Punk one was, I mean, 2011, it, it was stagnant. They had to do something, but they opened up a can of worms there because they showed, hey, you know, they will acquiesce to you. And the the, the worst thing that they did, you know, you can blame the audiences all you want. The WWE gave that WrestleMania 29 Raw crowd a slammy. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've 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 again they've created a rob for their own back. They gave these people in, and it's just like they embraced the what at the start when the what chant started, and they made they milked it. They didn't try to nip it in the bud, and it's been the bane of wrestling for fifteen years after that. Um, you know, I think uh, that was that was kind of the first sign of like fans hijacking the show in a bad way because they ruined like every promo for about five years after that, and still ruin half of them to this day. I think what's going to make it worse, and it's annoying because I enjoy the show, uh, is Breaking Ground. I think Breaking Ground is going to make that mm. so much worse, especially for the NXT side of things as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like, say that lad who's trying to, who won tough enough, and he's got that whole, I don't know, like that Yeti character or whatever. Say he comes out with this, mis- you know, this character, like say he wants to create a character of some mystery to him like Bray Wyatt has. You can't do that. We've seen it all, or at least to our to us as fans, we have, but then maybe the people that don't watch Breaking Ground just watch Raw. Maybe they can do it with that person because, like, who are those? Whoever those fuckers were that chanted Husky Harris at Bray Wyatt the first time he turned up, they didn't get what they wanted, which was to like cut that off at the pass to just show how clever they are. Because I okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start. I'm gonna go off a little bit on. These are some of the fans I hate. Right, first fan, the first fan I know I ever hated. I directly hated this guy. Was. You know, you know TLC 2, yeah, WrestleMania 17. Great show, great match. You know, maybe the greatest wrestling show of all time. Maybe one of the greatest ma- spot fest matches of all time. That famous moment where Edge spears Jeff Hardy off the ladder, uh, for, from the ladder off the, you know, mm-hmm. going however high there is, ruining, you know, ruining his neck maybe forever. The fan that I always see is this fucker who stands up because he realizes the camera's looking at their area and just lifts up a belt. And it's like, yeah, I'm the champ. Like no, you fucking are not. You, I, I hate you so much. And like, and all the way to just a few days, like the NXT show. Whoever those two guys were, pulling faces behind Johnny Saints. I hope that when they left the arena, Johnny Saint was waiting there for them, along with Robbie Brookside and William Regal and and Norman Smiley and anyone else who knows exactly what to do with their various limbs for their own amusement. You know, it's that. Fucking fan that thinks they know everything, and and admittedly, and things though I can I can I can channel that snarky side of me. I've made all these silly sides and everything to be funny and kind of pop both of you, you know. <laughs> but it's like, it is that it's that it's that. There's a great Eddie Izzard routine about how how being cool. It's like it's on this sort of spectrum, and just like one step, you can go from being great to looking like a dickhead, you know, looking really cool to looking like a dickhead. Like a, a crowd, like a wrestling crowd, like the one at rest, you know, after WrestleMania 29 can go from being the best crowd to chanting we are awesome, you know? And and that's where you jump the shark. It's like like Eddie Izzard says, put one matchstick at the corner of your mouth, looking pretty cool. Put a second matchstick on the other side of your mouth, suddenly you look like you're insane. And 
Because it's like, here's another example. Like, you know, like we're citing WrestleMania 29, but again, I think it's like gradual uh, moments. Like, you have Montreal, you had ECW, uh, you, you had the. But also, remember, like, the WrestleMania, the Raw before that WrestleMania? That was when Daniel Bryan kind of became, you know, it was after, what is it, 18 seconds? And Daniel Bryan wasn't even on Raw. They tried to set up an Alberto Del Rio Sheamus program. Vincent Mann had no intention of pushing Daniel Bryan after that point. And then, just throughout the whole night, it was the yes chance. So, like, and and that kind of forced them to keep Daniel Bryan on for the next show, and then he got into a feud with CM Punk. The yes chance kept growing. Team Hell No. And then, you know, he's the biggest star on the roster who's not John Cena. Um, so the fans... The man that can have a hug rather than a match. Yeah. And get over. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and like I said, like, that was him winning over a new strata of fans. And it was like WWE falling ass backwards into this great thing, like how the WWE fell ass backwards into the Undertaker's streak, just because, by coincidence, they hadn't had him lose. But um, but here's another one that I don't think any of us has mentioned yet. And this is where I have to ask, like, what proportion of wrestling fans do you think are smart, like, like, like us? Or at least us to a degree. Because do you remember WrestleMania 20, the Brock Lesnar-Goldberg match? That yeah, was that yeah. was the first time where it was like, wait a minute, everyone in Madison Square Garden knows that Brock Lesnar's not going to be there anymore. It's not just us, you know, however hundreds of people or however many people can fit into a Ring of Honor show that know it. Everyone knew it. And they'd only have known it through going on non-WWE wrestling websites. And this was pre-Twitter and trending and everything. Yeah, I mean... I the only, the only thing I was, I guess I would say there is that I guess the, that's like the smartest city in the world yeah, yeah. For, for wrestling fans at the biggest show that people would have travelled for and all that and all that kind of stuff. If, if they'd done that in, you know, Corpus Christi, Texas or something, I don't know what the reaction would have been like for, for Brock and Goldberg that night. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know what kind of proportion it is because it's very, like, I've seen guy, a lot of guys like Eric Bischoff many times has said, you know, you guys are loud, but there's not as many of you as you think you are, and we we shouldn't be listening to you all the time. Mm. And I remember the first time we did that, I was just like, "What?" And then I realized, <laughs> well, you know, no, I've created my own little bubble with my social media accounts. You know, I don't, I follow, I, I follow like-minded people who have similar thoughts or ideas to me, or I follow writers or bloggers or yeah. podcasters and and all that kind of stuff. And you get caught in a little echo chamber, I guess, where you're you're just hearing the things that you agree with echo back at you unless you follow max landis yeah um but <laughs> less on that guy um the i i i don't know what percentage of the audience is smart i guess it's it's just really it's really hard to tell but i agree with you it's, it's based on the regions like whenever they go to a chicago or a new york or a boston a metropolitan you know you don't want to be like snobby about it but when they go to a major metropolitan city you know when they go to a birmingham or a new or a Glasgow is very different to if they go to a Nuneaton, you know? <laughs> Again, really? <laughs> Come on, it's been like an hour since the last sure. one. But that is a point, though, isn't it, Simon? It is a bit different. I'm not saying that there's not a bunch of dumb fuckwits in Birmingham. I have to deal with them on a daily basis, you know? That's why the German market's so successful. But, um, uh, like, the, there are different regions, so I guess it, it, it's kind of... It's it's concentrated areas. I guess it's like in the major urban cities where they get you know slightly more highfalutin art house films will reach there. You know, hip bands will be able to play in like little one thousand seat of places. But then you go to somewhere like uh, as Chris Jericho said in his uh, interview with Scroobius Pip. You know, he goes to Grimsby, and they don't get a lot of you know uh, 
heavy metal bands there, and so they'll love it when they do. You know, as weird as I don't know that that sounds really snobby, but you know what I mean. Every, when they go to Boston, when they go to Philadelphia, when they go to Chicago, when they go to London, there's a different kind of crowd to when they go to you know um, somewhere like like the third biggest city in Ohio. You know. Well, it's true though. You know, when do they start? Whenever WWE goes to a show in Philadelphia or Chicago, everyone suddenly, you know, was like, "What's the crowd going to be like?" Or Toronto, you know? Weirdly, it's the southern states. Back in the day, those states that just cheered the good guys, booed the bad guys, loved their wrestling. The ones that Vince McMahon hated, you know, because Vince obviously sees himself as like a a New York City kind of guy, a Connecticut kind of guy. Uh, they're the ones that actually react to his product the way that he wants them to react to them. It's weird, you know? Again, Vincent Mann making a rod for his own back with the sort of people that he's tried to get to embrace his his promotion, his line of, you know, wrestling. Yeah, you're right. Like, um, Roman Reigns is no different for me in terms of ability than Sting was when he first started in WCW. Exactly. Like Sting, Sting was like... Not that great in the ring. Yeah, like the when they when splash. they first start pushing him. Yeah, he was he was the stinger splash, and the the all the all the all the other spots and, and all that kind of stuff. But he was quite green and he didn't have that great matches. But they the crowd liked him because he had a great look and he was this big dude with the face paint and he would and he had the crazy jackets and they liked him and they cheered him and now it's those guys that you know they go to. You know, they, they, they're that the first SmackDown on USA Networks this week. I think it's from Kentucky. Yeah, like R- Roman Reigns is going to get a great reaction in Kentucky, mm. and that's. And I'm not being snobby about it, but he is. Yeah. If, if, but, but the next time they go to Chicago, he's going to get booed. Mm. And are yeah, they going to have? That's, that's interesting. That you, I never really thought about that. Yeah, Vince is like, oh, doesn't like Southern wrestling, but those are the crowds that, quote unquote, behave themselves. Yeah. yeah. They're too, they're too polite, you know, except when they go off and burn crosses outside the New Day's hotel later on. That's Okay, now, I do want to, because we've gone so long, we still have Mount Rushmore to go to, but I do want to ask you, uh, Robert, as someone who has experienced ICW from its early days through to its, you know, most successful show, uh, Fear and Loathing, last year, me and Simon are both debating whether to get tickets to the is it the hydro next time um yeah this yeah. you know in, in about a year's time and and if they can get it you know it'll be insane and such a great achievement for them but what's so interesting about that is it's almost like he's created a brand new territory it's like how al snow said the territories could still exist if they embraced the modern era or they they looked at novel ideas he took you know i'm not going to be cr- i'm not going to Try not to insult with stereotypes again, but he took a very, you know, Glasgow is known for liking its drinks and liking going out and liking its violence at times, you know, <laughs> and they embrace that because it's not an ECW carbon copy. It's a, it's kind of a Glasgowized version of a bit of ECW, a bit of WWE, a bit of WCW, you know, it's, it's like that and all with in Mark Dallas's own vision of it, you know, and, and the crowds embraced it and they've also used it the what i think is ingenious and it's the same thing with preston is they've embraced the they've they've tied it in with the nightclub culture which i think such a great idea that they do these shows in rock clubs and it's exactly the same with progress they take out like these sort of you know places where punk bands usually play and and so like 
I mean, when you started going to there, was that st- were they still kind of doing the usual thing of putting in, on in leisure centres and that, and and then did that? They... No, 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 no. They they've never really done the leisure centre thing. The first uh, ever Scottish wrestling show I went to was in a leisure centre, and it was summer two thousand and ten, mm. and it was and, and it was interesting because a lot of the guys that were on that show are also part of ICW because there are four companies i think that run in the sort of greater glasgow area mm. but they do it is it's almost territorial like icw is the city center mm. uh, and then the other companies kind of divvy up the various different sort of regions around glasgow they're the so it is, spot shows yeah 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 exactly and and very similar talent floats between them and sometimes they play different characters mm. depending where they are which can be you know Interesting and infuriating in equal measure, and uh, so so the first time I went, so I went to that leisure center show and it was it was the quality of it was good. I was surprised by the in ring quality. I'll be honest, like in terms of the, it was exactly what you'd expect to see. It was like a big gym hall. It was half empty. It had a crappy entrance. The music was getting played in a boombox. It was every every it was Mickey Rourke's nightmare, right in that <laughs> in that movie. But the in ring stuff was, I was like, wow. I came away from it thinking, you know, the the guys here wrestled to a really high quality um and then the, uh, it's actually in a comedy club underneath a uh, walkabout in glasgow it was like the, the sort of basement uh, club it held about 200 people and we only went to it because it was the same night as the super bowl and I'm not really into American football at all, but some of my friends were like, oh, we're going to go watch the, the Super Bowl. And I, I was like, there's a wrestling thing on downstairs and it's over 18s. So it yeah. might be quite good. And like, it, it, it's night and day compared to what it is now in terms of a, a product, which is what, I, I just, that's what fans call it now. You don't hear anybody, anybody EastEnders is good this week. Yeah, the product's really strong right now. <laughs> um, so, so I went to see it and it was sort of, yeah, you're right. It was this great mixture of because it wasn't just a wrestling show; it was a night out. Yeah, you could go, you could have a couple of drinks or a lot of drinks sometimes, mm-hmm. and enjoy and interact with it. And it's it's built up its own cut. It's it's it has gone it's gone national because they they do now do a, a UK tour mm. twice a year, it's sort of April and October. They they've been to everywhere they've been to manchester birmingham yeah. nottingham all these places they've been lots of places and it seems to do pretty well wherever it goes i guess one of the things that, that they probably were told very early was that you're too glaswegian mm. to uh to, to sort of branch out and it seems to be so far that they're kind of proving people wrong to a certain extent i mean i mean the thing is it is very glaswegian but it's uh i guess it's also it's also very cultish yeah and but that comes with its own problems because unfortunately i am like damaged goods as a wrestling fan right <laughs> there's a, there's only there's only so much of uh, i can just let myself be carried away with something mm-hmm. but there will come a point so i kind of uh, not butt heads but kind of I, I feel like there's there's different types of fans there's like people who just go to get drunk mm. And they don't even really care. You know, I've seen a lot of people who have come and go over the four years that I've followed it. You know, they've come for a few months and then they've dropped away from it mm. because it was just a different type of night out for them. They got bored of it. Mm. And then there are like the super hardcore people. Because it's interesting because the type of show that we do and because we're big, we're, you know, we're at our biggest in, in Glasgow because we've done most of our shows, our live shows here, the 
the number of the amount of the audience that says you know you should cover ICW like you should review ICW shows but like they don't want to ever hear anything bad about it yeah that's the one negative to, to that fan base is they're very passionate and they, they they sort of go along with the stories I guess but what's interesting is that even like, the heel face thing is like there are clear-cut baby faces and heels but you know everybody has their fans ultimately if, if you're entertaining you know then people people will like you if you're good at what you do people will be into it and buy the, the t-shirts or whatever mm. but there's a sort of there's like and this is you know prevalent everywhere but that any criticism immediately brands you as a hater oh yeah but that's the, so that's... It's, that can be a problem because sometimes i think that because I, I follow a lot of icw fans on twitter and i'm sure if they hear this they're probably all going to start unfollowing me mm-hmm. but <laughs> Like some, they'll they'll be like live tweeting raw, and they just can't help but, you know, they'll they'll be like, for example, the Slammies, right? Mm. Slammies episode, they were bringing up uh, uh, the surprise return of the year, <coughs> and then like one of the kind of ICW hardcore guys is like, well, obviously the Slammy for uh, surprise return of the year should be Jimmy Havoc coming back and <laughs> feeding loathing, and I'm like, oh god, does everything have to come back to this? Uh. Like, does it all? Like, everything in wrestling has to come back to ICW. You're watching, you know, an NXT, and it's like, oh, this would be really good if Noam Dar was in it. And I'm like, yeah, it would be really good if Noam Dar was in it, but he's not. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so not everything... So it's, it's, I think it's too much of a bubble. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I've actually had quite interesting conversations with people who work there where they've been like, what do you think of the show? And I've been like, well, this was good. This didn't work for me. It's... A bit, I mean, my, my constant bugbear is that the shows are too long. Mm. And I, I'll, I'll happily say it. I'll be like, you know, really good, but, you know, exhausting. Mm. The thing was on for like three hours and 45 minutes. I was knackered by the end. And they're always like, all right, okay, cool. Or guys that write there for their magazine and their website. Mm. Like, they are very receptive to having conversations where you can honestly offer constructive criticism. Or, you know, vent on like, well, what about that storyline that you just totally ditched? Mm. But the fans, like, some fans will just tear your head off if you say anything. Like um, Kenny, who I host the podcast with, he did like a, an article about the Fear and Loathing show. And he said one negative thing about it. He said that the show was too long. And he was like, nobody cared about the, it was like, it was like a 10 things about the show article. Nobody cared about the nine things <laughs> that were all positives. So everyone just ragged up. So it's great. Like ICW is, is brilliant because it, it, knows its, it knows its audience. And it's not just one thing. Like it's, mm. it, people think it's just really, really violent. But it's also, like, really... One of the things that bugs me the most with WWE is that Vince, or whoever, but we blame Vince because he's the figurehead, Mm. just has a total (laughs) tin ear for comedy. Yeah. Like, they just don't get it. Like, any time they're going to do something funny, it almost always falls flat. Apart from R-Truth, he's on a bit of a golden streak right now. But but ICW is really funny. You know, it's it's really funny. So it kind of, like you say, it's not just an ECW thing, it's... It, it, it is. It's everything. Uh, it's like all those. It's, it's, it's a bit it's, of everything, yeah. Yeah, it's like people who get furious if anyone says the Dark Knight's not that good, or people got furious at negative reviews for the Dark Knight Rises before anyone got a chance to see it. And and mm. as time gone on, has gone on, a few more people are having to say, yeah, Dark Knight Rises isn't actually that good. Um, but at the time, that's like sacrilege to say. Just like you know, the Gamergate lot of suddenly everyone knows what a Mary Sue is because they you know certain people have their views that women cannot be certain things you know and I can't have a female Jedi that's illegal sorry I've just slightly ruined Star Wars there for you <laughs> uh, Simon uh, my apologies well, that's right. it's not that much of a spoiler but um, but yeah it's like um, sorry so were you going to 
I felt like you had something you wanted to say whilst... Um... Well, now all I can think of is I swear there was a female Jedi in the prequels, but I'm not, yes, not going to get that's true. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, I was just going to say that. Do you think people that... I, th- I think it's just in general, there's, there's some things now. Um, it's generally, I think, again, with it's one of the pitfalls of the internet is that you can so easily find so many people that agree with yeah. what you think that what you think gets reinforced that much more to the point where you don't, some people don't constructively think of things as much as they should. And then you get Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's interesting about ICW is that I've always, people said, uh, you know, you should, yeah, re- you should review ICW shows in your podcast. And I was like, well, when we get to the point that I can review an ICW show with the same set of tools that I would review a WWE show and no one's going to try and lynch me for it, mm. then then I'll do it. But what's interesting is that I think in the last kind of six months, as they have become bigger, you know, they've had their documentaries on the BBC, they've sold out the SECC, they've done, they've announced the Hydro show, they're doing another tour and all this kind of stuff. I started to see more people talk about it and interact with it like they would WWE. Like I've seen people question booking decisions mm. and I've seen people talk about backstage things and things that they've heard and i'm kind of seeing this sort of burgeoning meltzer culture start to appear and i'm really intrigued to see where it goes because i noticed that the guys that very similar to how i think like a lot of wrestlers get a little bit narky with fans uh which sometimes i feel sorry for them because Mm. you know like if you say you know i see you know if you say like heel or something in a tweet yeah, like a wrestler. I mean, like, you're almost definitely going to get a response from Kevin Owens saying that you don't know what that you don't know what that means. <laughs> and it's like, no, they like they do know what it means. I know you're very protective of your ye olde carny culture, but they do know what it fucking means. And uh, and, and so I'm so now I've seen a lot of uh, I, the thing is wrestlers in independent promotions in the UK are so accessible because they have come of age as performers in the, the era of social media. So. And also, they have to directly sell if they're, you know, they, yeah. they, they don't have a WWEshop.com type situation. So, they're they're encouraging fans follow me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter. I want to sell you all my stuff, promote when I'm going to be wrestling, all these different companies, and I will reply to you. Yeah. And and now that the fans are sort of going, oh, you know, I don't really think that that title should have been switched in Nottingham. I think it should have happened in either London or Glasgow. And the wrestlers are are biting. They're responding like, you don't understand. You don't know how this works. And I just don't know at which point they're going to have to shut themselves off from it to yeah. grow a little bit. It's, it's interesting. Well, that brings me just like uh, I've got two quick points I want to say. Um, that's like my last bullet pointed thing for my own notes. If you guys have more things you want to point out before we get to Matt Rushmore, that's great. Wrestlers now grew up as wrestling fans, you know, they yeah. that is exactly what they aren't guys from college football who get who fall out and then happen to bump into i don't know um uh the road warrior animal in a in a gym and then get turned to dusty rose who sends them somewhere they grew up reading power slam and going on websites and rating matches on star ratings and that's why i think it's a fascinating thing because i I think a lot of the time when i listen to you on inside the ropes i think you you rightly get angry at the storylines and and like as every pay-per-view comes up you're gonna go this will be shit this will be shit this will be shit because (laughs) the storylines are shit and you're right for saying it but then a lot of the time i think we all get slightly pleasantly surprised at how good the wrestling the pay-per-views are that's because they are only still following the traditional structure of just being a wrestling card and the wrestlers yeah, yeah. on their shows are good in-ring wrestlers, and they want to have good matches. It's That's their key thing. 
And I think in the back of their mind, they still want to know that they had at least a three-star match. You know? And so, for that, for that brief period yeah. where Vince can't control every little thing they do, because they've got 15 minutes and he can't micromanage everything, they're able to sort of express themselves. And even if the story that surrounds it is shit, they know the fundamentals of watching, because they grew up like we did. They know what we like, because they liked it too. And they give us that in their brief periods where Vince can't stop them. Yeah, because the, the real the real problem with WWE is Monday Night Raw. Because because I tell you now, if Xavier was wasn't a wrestler, he'd be probably chatting to us right now on a podcast and saying the exact same things we'd be saying. You know, that is what they are now. It kind of started with Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys. I suppose they were the first ones that came that were kind of of our not they were a bit older than us, but they they they'd seen the same things and they grew up, grown up idolizing the same people. You know, and Chris Jericho was probably another one as well. And they were very often people that interacted with. You know, Edge he replied to an email I sent to him back in two thousand and two. You know, and uh, and and so, and that's what we have now. And a lot of these guys have grown up like they're Simon's age. You know, they haven't even grown up with WCW, and they didn't have to wait ages to um, get one copy of New Japan's Super J Cup from Strong Style Video. They just went on Daily Motion a couple of years ago and watched the entire, every single Kanemoto, Jushin Thunder Liger, you know, every single match that they could, and they've incorporated that into what they do. But that also leads to the problem that a lot of indie shows are just spot fests, what we call spot fests, and it's just about them having great matches, because they've got to sell themselves, like you say. And the only fans that they're going to are the smart fans, and therefore they're having to have these great matches that means that you've got those... 20,000 finishing moves, and everyone has to get their finishing move in, whether they win the match or not. You know, this is a bugbear for Simon, but like it is your generation that they're kind of catering towards. You know, I mean, it's weirdly like, like what's weird now is like one of the things that's fashionable now is to go back to the other end of it with like a Zack Saber Jr. who rarely jumps off the top rope or does 20,000 flips in the air. He's like the coolest guy in wrestling, and he just has gone all the way back to that world of sports style of wrestling, you know? It's it's weird that these lot crazes come in, and I think it's wrestlers reacting to what fans like, and fans reacting to what the wrestlers are doing, you know? It's like, yeah, I've just gone on, I've just kind of gone stream of consciousness there, but that was, yeah, that was my point. Uh, there were a couple of good points in there, but then I just kept going. And just <laughs> quickly about the ICW, even though it's very Glaswegian, you know, like, the most Glaswegian TV show I've seen in ages is Limmy's show. That show, like, to me, even though I've I don't think I've ever been to Glasgow. That feels like that is Glasgow as represented in the form of a sketch show. And just as like there are people in England that love ICW and are going to go up and see it on uh, Fear and Loathing, when Limmy did a Richard Herring's podcast recording at Leicester Square Theatre, sold out immediately. You know, and I would have gone to see it if I got the chance. So it's like if you if you if you tap into something that's local, but it actually turns out it like appeals to everyone because like I know that there are characters in. Um, ICW that are Neds, aren't they? That's what they are. But you know, yeah, 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 you just yeah. have to have chavs or like when I grew up, we called them Kevs and Shazzes in Birmingham, you know, or, or Lodgers because they came from Falcon Lodge, and and so or like how Peter Kay is such a specific Bolton upbringing, but that Bolton upbringing <laughs> was really the same in any you know if you unless you lived in a high rise flat in London, that's that is how you grew up, you know, with a uh, with being you know having a uh, water fights with empty bottles of fairy liquid everyone did that it's not you think it's just bolton but then it turns out everyone does it you know so that so they're, they're, they're showing the age gap between us because while we show the fairy liquid bottles we had the old school lucasade sports yeah that used to uh 
get that great mist on the go, which they've since removed. <laughs> that, that was a nail in the coffin of my childhood right there. Okay, so uh, I've not got any more notes, put, except the only other note I had was the, a recent point that Joey Styles made about how the IWC are the WWE's most loyal cu- customers because they will always watch. They'll complain, but they'll still re-up their WWE Network subscription yeah, it, and everything. Yeah, it, it's like being a wrestling fan is like being addicted to crack. Mm. It, like, it, you know, you're you're losing your teeth and you look like shit, but you are gonna, <laughs> you are going to keep coming back for more. Yeah. See, I was going to say like being an abused wife, but I yeah. think uh, Robert's description matches both both those scenarios. <laughs> well, I was just going to very quickly say also one of the things I think NXT does is I think NXT is WWE's equivalent to like Orange is the New Black or Game of Thrones in that it's a very it's more of a niche uh, form, but it's for a, a group that like don't get it anywhere else. We don't get it on, on WWE uh, Raw, so we have to pay extra to get the good stuff, you know? The, the WWE Raws, the people that watch that every week, are kind of like how, as uh, John Oliver points out, there are 17 million people. You know, we might go on about Orange is the New Black and BoJack Horseman and uh, Making of a Murderer and Game of Thrones. Well, Game of Thrones is probably not an, ex- an exception to that. But right now, 17 million people watch NCIS New Orleans, you know? Mm-hmm. That that's what the I guess that's what the WWE crowd is, and that's the people that Vince caters to. And actually, just quickly before we go on, when you say you don't know if you want to cover ICW on your podcast, I think part of you is that that a little part of you is that your Vince McMahon brain. Um, oh, have you guys lost me? No. Oh, okay. I think I think I just lost Simon briefly. Sorry. Um, yeah, you not being sure whether to have ICW or not. Uh, I think that's part of your Vince McMahon brain going, how many of my listeners listen to ICW? And if I talk about it for half an hour, am I going to lose these listeners? That's but... true. Yeah, that, that that has definitely crossed my mind. The same with, um, I watched Wrestle Kingdom 10 today, and I like I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Uh, but there's that sort of uh, uncertainty about how long should I gush about some of the matches when some mm. people listening are going to be like, I don't know who Shinsuke Nakamura is, and I don't care. And I'm just kind of like, just tell us about how Raw was terrible. <laughs> Some people like to hear that, apparently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the other the other thing, just very very quickly about ITW that's interesting is that they don't do it so much anymore because the wrestlers tend to segregate themselves a little bit. But in the earlier days of it, the kind of it built into the show like whatever the venue was was like an after party mm. so it was like you don't even have to like, you buy your ticket for icw you don't even need to pay into somewhere else in the town to go and continue your night out mm. you can just stay in the same venue that the wrestling show is in that's what i thought was could, ingenious of them yeah yeah and, and you can stay there till three in the morning but the thing was is like like you were talking about um all these wrestlers grew up watching wrestling they're wrestling fans turned wrestlers mm. and they they hung around as well so there was this sort of accessibility thing where they could hang around and get drinks bought for them and be told they're amazing because that's what people wish they could say to um, Kevin Owens. Yeah. Or, you know, like people would love that to have that. Or, or, or Neville or whoever they think would be an accessible person to them. Mm. But there, there were some guys who very early on like decried the whole thing. And yeah. guys like uh, Mikey Whiplash, mm. who is obviously... You know, I, I, like a long-term veteran. He's like Daniel Bryan talks about him in his book, and he's been around for a really long time. And he was like, "I'm not. I don't particularly want to interact with fans." He's like, yeah. "I don't. I don't want to take selfies with fans after the show and talk to them and blah blah blah." And he's a a really personable, nice guy to talk to one to one, but he's really kind of uh, strict with his opinions and how accessible he is to to people in, in 
certain ways. And, and I think he comes from, although he's relatively young, he has quite an old school attitude to wrestling and what mm. you need to do to be able to successfully present to a crowd what wrestling is and, yeah. and to, for him for him it's not hang around at the bar afterwards after you've just been put through a table yeah. and you're meant to be selling your injury or whatever and then you're you're out hanging around and so it, it's interesting to see it so close up because it's uh it's kind of like right because i think we're getting to the point now wwe are doing it as well you know like wade barrett is on twitter as Stu bennett mm. and and his bio is you know Stu bennett who plays wade barrett on wwe tv so it's fascinating for me to see it happening locally, where it's like there's these guys who have trained in Glasgow to wrestle in shows in Glasgow, and they're becoming more popular and sort of more locally famous. Try to deal with this. Oh God, right. Well, we're supposed to be working these these fans, but we also see them in the the pub afterwards and all this kind of stuff. Like, how do we maintain the mystique? And then they're sort of thinking about how to raise the barrier almost mm. while it's coming down, even even at WWE, which I guess is the mecca. Because I think anybody that says they don't want to work there eventually yeah. has got to lie in a little bit. Well, I think and I think they, with... they're struggling with the same problem. How do you how do you keep the fans yeah. and the, the performers on the same on, on the right side of the fence? I well, Whiplash is right basically. I think Whiplash wants is wants the guys on the roster to maybe stop behaving like part-time wrestlers and start behaving like superstars i guess yeah yeah, yeah. and i think i think that's why don't we call them superstars i understand why they call them superstars the whole just trying to ign- ignore the word wrestling is stupid when your biggest event of the year is literally called wrestlemania it's okay to say wrestling but i get why they want to brand them as superstars i wish they'd get rid of divas and just say that women are superstars just like the men but I get why they've branded them as superstars. I think there is a there is a point that you have to do. There is something that Daniel Bryan had to do to stop being Bryan Danielson and to be Daniel Bryan, the WWE superstar. Yeah, he had to he had to change his appearance. Mm. Simon, sorry, you, I know you wanted to say something. No, no, I was just going to say on that point where um, you say that uh, the where people like Mikey Whitlash want the accessibility. I guess sort of the balance to be readjusted. I think it's more to the point. It's like. It's like the money in football, though, that the horse has already bolted. It's just um, sort of touching on what me and Rob were saying in terms of the, the balance that was struck with the Eve Marie thing. I think that that's just the closest to the way you think it should be. I think we're going to get from this point onwards in terms of the WWE. Maybe different variances and different promotions, but on the grand stage, I, th- I think that's just what we're going to get out of it from this point oh, on. To, to yeah. be fair to the WWE, I think they want to try to keep that with Bray Wyatt. They don't succeed all the time, but I remember I remember making comments on that. I can't remember if I tweeted it or whatever on like a promotional video, uh, like a, a video of him being interviewed on a radio station. And I said, and, and he tries to do it as much in character as he can, you know? And I was like, Bray Wyatt should not care for ticket sales or merchandise figures. You know, that shouldn't be. And The Undertaker, they protected him for so long. Even Stone Cold Steve Austin, when Stone Cold Steve Austin was the biggest star, they, you know, when, when they tried to get him on SMTV and to do really silly, you know, pratfalls and that with Anton Deck, he kind of bailed on them because it would have not done his mystique well. You know, it's like getting that right balance, I think. Yeah, what's interesting about the, the balance is that I know that, I, I guess this is... Kind of related to what I was saying about not just to be fair, not just Mikey Whiplash, other people as well I know who have that kind of. There's a a guy up here who's 
kind of exclusively Glasgow based. He's the he's currently the GM of ICW. They're doing like a hostile takeover angle just mm. now that I think is going to run all the way to the Hydro Show by the looks of it. It's, it's got legs. Um, his name's Red Lightning, mm. and he is tremendous on the microphone. But he is a heat machine, mm. and uh, he was he's another guy who was like, um, don't want to talk to fans. I'm not going to. And he is a he maintains across his. Like his, I think he doesn't have like a Facebook presence at all, but he's got a Twitter, and when he's on Twitter, he's one hundred percent dick. Like the whole time, he's just a total dick to everybody that tweets him. Good fans are like, "Oh, you're a great heel." Shut up! Like, don't <laughs> care. All that kind of stuff. So he really maintains the mystique, and as a result, he's one of the most over characters. Just like Mikey Whitlash is one of the most over characters. Mm. But I think that this kind of idea, like people would refer to them. Uh, they would say, you know, you guys trying to maintain kayfabe almost is a little bit like Quentin Tarantino trying to take a roadshow seventy millimeter print of the Hateful Eight around America. You're like you're a nostalgist, like you are so far out of touch with how things are. But the thing is, I think that like the, the true fans do still want that authentic experience because I think what's interesting with the IWC, I don't even really think I think that's a problematic term. And it sucks. I think there's so many subdivisions within it, but I'll yeah. I'll use it. I'll use it here. Is that the IWC spent twenty years like desperately wanting to know everything? Like they wanted, they were they were sucking at Meltzer's teeth mm. for every little bit of information. Who hates who? What's his real name? You know, where is he from? Or or what is he? Why was that booked? And why did he leave? And who's doing drugs? And who's um dating who? And all this kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, how does it work? How do they, how does the buried alive match work? You know, do they really fall through the the, the the tables rigged? We wanted to know all this stuff, all this stuff. Then and now I think that a lot of the moaning, the or all the complaining, and I, I I say it because I think it's the root of any complaint I do about wrestling, is that we spent twenty years trying to be smart, and now we just really wish they could work us again. I think it, I I agree. I think it's maybe our generation, you and me, Robert, but I think Simon's generation as well. But I think it's maybe we've dictated the 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 the, the dialogue. You know, we've dictated what's to be discussed online. But I think it was like when we were teenagers and and young uh, adults, and like Ring of Honor was at its height and everything. We wanted to almost try and apply mathematical certainty to wrestling, and it's like as long as it has more than a three and three quarter star match, then it's a good match, and therefore it's the you know like 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 you can categorize everything, and there's like a, a perfect mathematical system. And I agree with you. Now I think it's more people just want a story told well. Yeah, That's they, what want they want like, to. They want to cry when Bailey wins the, yes! the women's. I was, I was, I was just going to say that. Like when we were doing the, our, like putting together like our best of the year stuff, it was really easy for me because I was just like, okay, f- favorite five matches, favorite five wrestlers. Did I cry five times? Because that's probably going to be the one. I'll, I'll pick those ones. Or just like I got to go to WrestleMania thirty and. To see Daniel Bryan beat Triple H and then win the title, regardless of whether or not there was any, you know, real life stuff playing into how much I enjoyed seeing him beat Triple H, it was still, it was like an emotional thing for me. Like I was really emotionally invested in it. It was cathartic for me to see him win, and that was what I valued more than. And it was also like, like, like a death in the family to see the streak being broken. Mm. And that match wasn't even any good. Yeah. You know, it was it was barely a three star. It was like a two-star match if that mm. but the emotions were there the story was there there was something there for me to sink my teeth into and i think that's what's interesting is that although there's a lot of you know and and and, and, and in the same respect i'm 
you know, hunting online to see whether any any cinemas in the UK are going to be showing the hateful eight. And the I think it's only going to be the Odeon in Leicester Square. Yeah, anyway. it is, and I'm and I'm thinking like I might travel down for it because yeah. I want to go see the overture and have the intermission yeah, with the music and all that kind of stuff. I'm just looking for an authentic experience. So when I when I see guys like Mikey Whiplash and Red Lightning that are like. Yeah, we, we don't want to know you guys. We don't want you to see us. We only want to appear to you as the characters you see you buy a ticket for. I'm like, right on. Because ultimately, all the complaining we do about Monday Night Raw or, or WWE in general or Vince is out of touch. He doesn't know what people want. We just really want to be worked. Mm. We want to buy into it. We want to lose ourselves in it again. So we, we don't want to be thinking about it. Yeah. Which is why NXT works for a lot of that demographic because they can lose themselves in those characters because I think it's a better written show. It's the writing that makes NXT better because those those performers go to Raw and they, they stink. Well, they don't stink. The writing stinks. Yeah. So they, they don't have an environment and the, to... And they're in front of that crowd that's one kid and two disinterested parents. And the kid doesn't, <laughs> the kid doesn't watch NXT and the, kids don't watch, and the parents don't watch wrestling at all. And they're going to have to rebuild Bailey. The Bailey story is going to, if they want to do it again, it's going to take them three years. Same with the Sami Zayn story. Yeah. The Sami Zayn's Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn Kevin Owens story is just ready to go. Uh, but they need of, to like, re-educate. NXT. They need to re-educate. They need to or, or educate the, this this fan base. Um, just yeah, quick, they, they need to write good TV. And I don't know if they can anymore. I've said it. You know, we were talking about this on Twitter. I think we're in the uh, we're in the Star Wars prequel era. That's what we're in. <laughs> a, 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 an old man who's out of touch with what, or maybe never even knew truly what people loved about what he was giving them in the first place. And will not go until either death or Disney come along, <laughs> give him a lot of money. Because like, and then and then does WWE just become fan fiction when Vincent Mann leaves? Just like how a lot of people say that Star Wars Episode Seven is just fan fiction. But um, just quickly, like even in Japan, just quickly, even in Japan, because what are people talking about? People go ape shit over Kazuchika Okada for two things. One, he does an amazing drop kick. It's no longer people losing their mind over someone doing a 557,000 degree splash. It's the <laughs> fact that Okada does the most beautiful drop kick, and he's made a drop kick like the build-up to his finisher. And at the end of Wrestle Kingdom 9, the, the, that's feeding into Wrestle Kingdom 10, what's the thing that people are referring to now? It's not all the big moves, it's not all the false finishes, it's the fact that at the end of the show, as Okada was being carried away, he was crying. And it was emotional connections. They, even Guido, Guido gets it. When he books it, and they they intentionally they wanted Okada to cry, and now what's Tanahashi saying on Twitter? I will make him cry again. That's the story. The story is not how many high fly flows is it going to take to make Okada go down. It's you know will Okada finally be triumphant after crying? So you know, basically, Triple H, Stephanie, and the Authority are the Galactic Senate, right? That's what we have. <laughs> They're the first That's order. <laughs> Are you trying to think of the Jar Jar Binks is Rob? Because because I'm there as well. Jar Jar Binks, the Miss. <laughs> the Miz main event in WrestleMania 27 is Jar Jar Binks. That was a definitely a, a, that was definitely Phantom Menace. Yeah, that's definitely. Jar Jar, that's definitely Jar Jar Binks being a hero then. Okay, uh, with, with the droid. We've gone on. Sorry, we've gone on so long. I, we could keep talking. We'd love to have you back, Robert, for another future episode. Oh yeah, definitely. definitely uh, let's do it. Yeah, I enjoyed this. Because um, it's so rare that I get to talk about something at length like sometimes yeah. we get to do this for 10-15 minutes on the podcast yeah. but inevitably we need to talk about what happened on TV that week and, and so, you sound like you want to blow your brains out <laughs> a, a little bit a little bit but I, I lived like about 20 minutes ago I was like in my head although I didn't verbalise it I was starting to think about whether or not Vince McMahon's on O-Tour and I was like <laughs> he is 
He's got a good environment for me. Yeah, he's got a certain estate that he wants to keep, just like our, you know, he's as much an auteur as uh, David Lean or or, or maybe more appropriately Michael Bay is. Anyway, (laughs) we're going to go to Mount Rushmore. We're going to, hopefully we've all picked four definitive moments that we think that kind of define maybe the evolution or what wrestling fans are, what we think embodies uh, pro wrestling fans. Uh, Simon, do you want to take, uh, would you want to go first or Robert, would you like to go first or do you want me to take it off? Take, uh, start us off. Uh, well, I think you should start this off. Okay. I think I started, I started. All right. Okay. Okay. Here are my, uh, four that I've come up with. And if we find one that we all agree with, that will be our definitive one. If we've all got completely different ones, then, Two of us are going to have to concede and, and take on one as the definitive one. So here are my four uh, Mount Rushmore uh, moments. I'm going for the fans' embrace of Stone Cold Steve Austin, even though he was technically a heel during all this time, from King of the Ring 96 through to WrestleMania 13. The fans embracing Stone Cold and kind of, or at least the American fans turning their back on Bret Hart. So to me, that was kind of one of the first moments of like. Um, the fans sort of dictating the the story and 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 them creating Austin more than Vince created Austin. Uh, the next one I've gone for, uh, I'm kind of cheating by going for both of them, but I'm okay with picking one specific one. It's the last two Royal Rumbles and the lack of Daniel Bryan in them, and them just rebelling entirely against once Vince McMahon thinks he Vince thinking he thinking he can get away with it at 14 by having him at Bray, against Bray Wyatt. And then at 15, thinking he can get away with it by eliminating him early in such a nonchalant fashion and then bringing out Roman Reigns and trying to build him up and just the fans just going, no, 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 we're not taking it. Um, the WrestleMania uh, 29, uh, post-WrestleMania 29 Raw crowd, specifically during the Randy orton uh, Sheamus match, where it kind of started off as a specific demand because they didn't like the way that Orton and Sheamus were rammed down their throats and it was not, I don't think it was that they thought they were both bad wrestlers it's just they didn't like the way they were being presented and what they symbolised, they were like Vince's creations and so the first thing they do is champ Mike Kyoda because he's the only person in the in the ring that they're like we're not going to cheer for either of you so we'll cheer for the ref, then they turn it to JBL and Michael Cole and Jerry Law. you know when they start chanting Michael Cole you know there's something crazy going on but, they, but Vince McMahon and them what, think it's hilarious and embrace it not really maybe getting why the crowd's behaving the way they are. And then by the end of the show, they're chanting, we are awesome. And the crowd has jumped the shark, in my opinion, at that point. Um, and they start believing their own hype, you know. I have to say very quickly, that Izzy superfan, I love the girl, but I did notice that like on one of the, like a tweet that she did after Sasha gave her a bow back, she had a t-shirt saying, Izzy mania. Yeah. Uh, you need to. Someone needs to straighten that kid out first before they start uh, believing their own hype. And uh, the last one I'm going for, I'm going to go back, back, back to 1994 ECW, and it's that moment where in the Cactus Jack versus Terry Funk against the Public Enemy match, uh, Terry Funk asks for a chair. Two chairs get thrown in, then a third, then a fourth, then suddenly there's this cascade of chairs being thrown into the ring. The crowd are like the crowd have taken over of the match and. It doesn't really matter to them. And I remember seeing it for ages on the opening. And it was such a cool visual. And it showed how different ECW was. And it was specific to that crowd. But then it wasn't until like the 15th or 16th time that I noticed there was an arm uh, underneath it all. So there were, there were, the fans were throwing chairs at the public enemy. And they didn't really seem to give a shit that they might kill them. <laughs> so to me, that kind of embraced everything about ECW in one visual. So those are my four, uh, the Austin embracing and the turning on Bret Hart, 
the two Royal Rumbles with uh, with uh, Batista and then Roman Reigns winning, Randy Orton, Sheamus and the post-WrestleMania uh, 29 crowd, and Cactus Jack and Terry Funk and the chairs being thrown into the ring at ECW. So those are my four moments. Uh, Simon, do you want to go next? Yeah, yeah, I'll go next. Um, number one, uh, I'm going to sort of build on your super fan point. Uh, this, this is purely the alcoholic in me, Brock Lesnar guy. Reason being, anytime he's on the screen, you must drink. It is that simple. It's yeah. sort of like an unwritten rule of um, watching wrestling in a bar. It, it, to me, I can't believe I didn't go on a rant against all those super fans. <laughs> even worse. I oh my god. Uh, sorry. We'll, we'll, uh, that'll be for another time. Maybe I'll do it as a bonus feature. Oh god. Rant against them. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to go for that. I'm going to go for CZW fans, um, specifically for when they get to show their creativity and, and fans bring the weapon matches, where you could get a Paris Hilton cardboard cutout filled with thumbtacks. <laughs> uh, an old school telly would have took out the TV screen and just filled it with light tubes. Uh, prams filled with barbed wire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the real thing. I, I mean, I'm not too big on hardcore for hardcore's sake, but when you get to have such a creative outlet as that and you encourage fans to be like literally get involved you you can't help but admire what some people come up with (laughs) uh the next one i'm gonna go i'm gonna go for ah see i'm not gonna go for the rumbles i'm gonna go for a specific moment and how it was rare that all both smart and non-smart fans seem to react It's the moment in the 2014 Rumble where Rey Mysterio comes out as the 30th entrant. Mm. I'm going to go for that feeling, that sinking feeling (laughs) that most wrestling fans had in themselves at that moment. So I'm going for that specific moment out of the two. Okay. Um, And I'm going to go for a WCW moment last, and it's Hulk Hogan joining the NWO. Yeah. And just the amount of rubbish... That gets thrown in the ring. I mean, obviously, chit chat beat stuff being thrown in the ring, like the Public Enemy thing is is cool and iconic moment. But that you know, they were asking for weapons, whereas no one's asking to have like McDonald's stuff mm-hmm. thrown at them. Yeah, and that just shows you because people go to shows to be entertained, and seeing something, seeing a bad guy succeed, sometimes is the setup to be entertained further down the line. Mm-hmm. But when you break through the wall of anger to the extent where you're being littered with rubbish, I think you're really, really onto something there. So there's my thought. Yeah, I think like like we guys have been saying about the whole John Cena heel turn, I don't even think people, the, the people who are desperate for it, I don't think that they want a John Cena heel run particularly. Because I think a lot of the problems will be there. Will be the people that boo him now will cheer him. So they'll completely fail in any idea of like just embracing the entire John Cena Heat. People just want well, that. People just want that moment again. They want that Hulk Hogan turning into Hollywood Hogan yeah. again, and they know that John Cena's the only guy that can give it to them. It's them chasing that high. It's the same thing with people in Star Wars Episode Seven. They want a Star Wars movie. They want a great heel turn, and there hasn't been a greater heel turn since Hogan. That's what they want. I think some people realise that. I personally think that some of the actions John Cena did in the John Cena Rusev feud were very heelish. Mm. Um, and I just think that's Vincent Mann. Vincent Mann doesn't understand what makes a good person. That, that's the <laughs> conclusion I've come to. Think, look at it. His most successful runs were Hulk Hogan, a coke-snorting, Reaganomic, Americana, you know, douche. He's a bad person. If you look at Hulk who, who Hogan... Who often bites opponents yes. in matches. Hulk Hogan like, wrestled like a heel throughout his entire run. Austin, a, you know, a selfish... 
amoral, violent, drunken psychopath. And John Cena, again, like, that is Vince Man. Vince Man doesn't know what makes a good person. He doesn't, because Vince Man is fundamentally a bad person. I think John Cena is almost, like, that. that is what Vince think, thinks a good person is. But, yeah. like, John Cena is a sociopath's view yeah. of a good person. Like, he's like, like it's, that sort of, it's the make-a-wish thing. Yeah. It's like, I'm not just going to help some kids that are, like, ill. I'm going to help all the kids that are yeah. ill. Uh, Vince Man has... All of them! Yeah, and, like, the only times where it works is when that little shines of John Cena's own personal humanity are able to come out. Like, John Cena's own goodness wrestling against Vince McMahon's in- interpretation of goodness. You know? Anyway, sorry. Uh, and So that's your four. Can you just run through them again quickly, Simon? Yep, so I have gone for the sinking feeling I felt when Rey Mysterio was number 30 at <laughs> 2014 Rumble. Uh, Hulk Hogan being covered in rubbish when he joined the NWO. Okay. I have gone for Brock Lesnar guy because my liver hates me. <laughs> and my... F- oh, God, what was my other one? Uh... Did you say it, or did I... I have said... Uh, no, no, I have said... Oh, I can't remember. CZW? Oh, yes, CZW fans bring the weapons. Yes, that's it. Okay. And on to you now, Robert. Do you have your four definitive moments there? Yeah. Well, first of all, on the Izzy thing, just very quickly, I actually saw that she was in the front row of an Impact taping. Betrayal. Exactly. This is like... Lex Luger turning up at the first Nitro. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is he doing in the Impact Zone? <laughs> I, I I cannot wait for the episode in, on the network in like fifty years where they're like shots fired. <laughs> is is he mania appears on a taping of TNA Impact? See, I'm not the one to make the joke that uh, TNA will touch anyone that's got WWE associated with them, but you know. <laughs> Dixie Carter yeah. would be the equivalent of Eric Bischoff. You're going, I never actually liked Izzy. I stuck up. Oh, my. Oh, my. So when, it, when, I, when I sat down to make this, I actually thought this was going to be a difficult list to make. I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to be left. Oh, really? And then it was just an absolute rush of stuff. So it was really hard. And then I inevitably did come up with some of the ones that have been mentioned. And I thought that maybe I would, uncharacteristically, move away from anything that's too negative. <laughs> so there was things like, so I also had, like, like in terms of, like, shortlisting, I was like, yeah, those rumbles are important. But I think, like, maybe they can all be grouped into into one sort of sort of thing that's been happening over the last couple of years. Mm. But because we talked about WrestleMania 29 post-Raw thing so much, I'll just, like, pantheon that and not mention it here because we talked about it. So, I, But I do have another okay. uh, four that I think are good. Uh, so the first one is, um, again, you've already said it, the, the crowd uh, choosing to back Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay. Because it was, I think it was a, a moment where, where because I think what we've really been thinking or skirting around in some of the conversations we've had so far is that how much should you listen to the fans? Like, should you listen to them? Should you not? You don't want, you don't want them to be too entitled or mm. blah, 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 blah. But I think sometimes you absolutely do because wrestling has that unique thing. You know, unlike the TV that it sometimes get com- gets compared to, you can fix things as you go. You know, like like True Detective Season 2, all eight episodes were in the can before yeah. it aired and everybody hated it and nothing, uh, nothing the guy could do. Whereas with wrestling, you do have the chance to fix Fixings and 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 at that point in time, WWE really needed fixed or yeah. WWF at the time really needed fixed, and they 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 backed that guy. They were like, "This is our guy," and 
as much as they thought they could, they were onto something with the 316 thing, I'm not necessarily sure they thought he was going to be, you know, the Hogan rivaling star. Maybe they thought he'd be the Roddy Piper. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So, but to to to, to trust in the crowd back in and choosing that was uh, era defining. You know, it was era defining. Um, the second one is also era defining, not necessarily in the, the in the best way. It's the um, ECW One Night Stand 2006 yeah. John Cena incident, which is it's not just the T-shirt getting thrown back, although that's very symbolic. It's also the if Cena wins, we riot. Yeah, which is oh. like become, which is so like woven into oh. the fabric now that people say it with so many different things. You know, if, if Punk loses, we riot. There was I think there was one of them at Money in the Bank, and it's just like if uh, uh, we riot, yeah. it's like it's like a wrestling staple. If now. Big Show turns, we riot. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like some of them just don't. It's like again, I I use the term all the time, but it sort of jumps the shark. It just becomes. It starts to have no meaning. You know. Yeah, if yeah. You it's like those the, lights, well, I've I've been promised about six riots that haven't happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know? For me, it's in the same group as the "This Is Wrestling" chant. Well, it's just—it's just. I think it's going to get to the point. We're about two years away from it. That when when the fans don't have anything that they want to say, and they've got to have this fucking hive mind mentality, we've all got to be thinking the same thing at the same time. So we'll all yell the same word. And when they can't think of anything else to say, they'll just start going four syllables, four syllables. <laughs> I'm Sorry. surprised they haven't done that already. That uh, seems like an NXT thing. Oh no, I've I've given them an idea now. <laughs> <laughs> but the yeah, the T-shirt throwback because it has. He is the. I mean, some people don't really. I think people are coming around to it now, but some people don't really like to think of him as being on the same level as like Sam Martino, Hogan, oh yeah, Austin, and. I always put Austin over yeah, yeah. the Rock. I, if I was creating that Mount Rushmore, I would pick Austin over the Rock. That's just me. But the but he is, and but his whole run, the longest since San Martino's, mm. is is defined by that divisive relationship with the fans, for better or worse. I think you know a lot of times for worse. I think there was a lot of great stories that couldn't be told. Yeah, because like the the best John Cena stories are the ones that play on the fact that a lot of people don't like him, like the CM Punk thing was so good because it tapped into that raw nerve that fans don't like him. And it doesn't all... So sometimes they've done like... Uh, like John Cena and Rusev in the 80s would have been great. John Cena and Umaga. That would have been brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they can't really do it. So that's my... Yeah, that one. Uh, but number three is the, ch- the the most ludicrously titled segment of Raw ever. The Championship Ascension Ceremony from December <laughs> yes. 2013 where oh. they, they symbolically you know, raised the, the title belts or whatever, and the fans hijacked it. That's the word we didn't talk. We didn't even talk about the hijack Raw or Occupy Raw or any of that kind mm. of stuff, but they uh, they hijacked it by just incessantly chanting for Daniel Bryan. They brought out all the former WWE and world champions that are still with the company and alive <laughs> to the ring, and the crowd were chanting for Bryan, and it was, uh, it was great, because it's a lot of stuff that sticks in my mind. Like, I remember, I remember Bryan's bashfulness yeah his goofy think, grin yeah yeah like he was like sort of like oh this is i can't believe this is happening this is he's, it's almost that this is embarrassing i remember guys. mark henry raising his arm yeah that was the one i was going to say next yeah henry's in his arm sort of like the old guard of henry being like you know you need to acknowledge this guy and everyone going crazy for him and the the gift that keeps on giving cm punk's 
over the shoulder of Triple H yeah. as Stephanie extols his virtues. It was great because I think it was uh, again two layers, it, two different layers. Yeah, there was there was stuff going on where like it's not like they hadn't chanted for Brian before, but this felt like the like a, a concerted effort by a big crowd to be like. Like, no, like, you're giving us, we really want this guy. And it's not just, you know, 20% of the audience that like to talk about it on Twitter. It's, we all want to see this guy, and you're not giving it to us. Yeah. So that was, um, that was a big one. And then my number four, I th- again, I thought I'd go for something a bit more positive, is actually the crowd in Toronto mm. at WrestleMania 18. Yeah. For The Rock versus Hollywood Hogan. Mm. Because... I remember the th- like that now, obviously, and rightfully so, gets heralded as this sort of, you know, cataclysmically huge match. But I remember watching Raw every week going into it, and it was kind of, you know, you were getting NWO 2.0, they were running over the rock with the truck and all that kind of stuff, and it, it was all that like, eh, eh. But no one remembers, obviously, like any great WrestleMania match, as long as the match is great, then no one remembers the build. And the thing was, is there was no real hint moving towards WrestleMania, that anything that was going to happen in this match would happen with regards to the crowd. But obviously, they didn't anticipate the, I guess, institutional memory of Toronto and WrestleMania 6. Yeah. And it gave, like, this this thing that happens so rarely in wrestling, this perfect moment. And I remember when I realised it was going to happen, for me, was when I saw the the widescreen Hogan poster mm. that was in the crowd at WrestleMania yeah, 6. Yeah, God, yeah. It's, it's in the crowd for 18, and it was like, wow, like, this is so organic. Yeah. And he came out as Hollywood Hogan, but the crowd were like, we... And, and the thing is, people always talk about the passing of the torch, you know. Did Bruno pass it to... Um, Hogan? Think, oh, back, Backlund, yeah, Backlund, yeah. Backlund. Did Hogan pass it to anybody, really? Um, did Austin or Rock get to because of injury or Hollywood? And will John Cena ever successfully do it? Will The Undertaker ever give back? And blah, 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 blah. And, you know, there's but there's one... like This is the sort of the, the standard bearer for a crowd... And the two performers all operating on the exact same level to tell a story that totally transcends the form. I think like you can show anybody this uh-huh. and they would get it. They would get it. This is like the old dog and the young buck and the crowd are there and they're meant to be. They do love the new guy. Like The thing is, they do boo the rock, but they do love him. And they are happy when he wins because they know what it symbolically means. And they know what it means for him to beat Hogan. But they can't help but, but cheer the old guy yeah. that he loved. And it just all comes together so, so perfectly. And I think the crowd are, like, in a different city, on a different night, that would not have happened. And that that crowd was so important and instrumental to that happening. And that was, I wanted to put it in just because it just felt like, uh, as much as we might complain a little bit about crowds mm. across the podcast, it was good to, when I thought about it, I was like, I really want to talk about that because that was, that was like a crowd at its best and performers at its best and, I saw someone tweeted after WrestleMania 31 and they were talking about the Seth Rollins cash-in and they were like, sometimes like wrestling can transcend itself and become almost Shakespearean. And I was just like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm wanky enough to buy into that. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> Your and, uh, podcast. Yeah, and so so I, I, when, I, when I try to think of moments like that, I think of uh, uh, Bailey and Sasha in, in, in Brooklyn or um, on, on an even grander scale um, at the Sky Dome with Hogan and The Rock. Yeah, I mean that was that that was like for me at uh, that time because I was eighteen when that came out when that happened and it's kind of like I was at my most smarkiest and it was like that conflict of like uh, this is technically like two and a quarter stars because there's like blown spots in it and neither of them can move and there was no space flying tiger drops but it's just 
so sh- good. Shut the fuck up and enjoy it, you know? And, and like, and, I, and, and what's, there's so many other facets to that that's brilliant when you rewatch it. One of them is Jim Ross getting noticeably pissed off because he's like, you don't know the bloody politics that this Hulk Hogan's going to bring to us backstage now. He was like, ah, oh, they're chewing, they're chanting for Hogan. They weren't, they didn't like it when The Rock was doing it with the belt, but that's their call. They are his most passive aggressive. <laughs> well, he was, was head of talent relations at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, he was like, oh, God, do you know what you've given me? <laughs> and a month yeah. later, Hulk Hogan, He's WWE champion. Wearing the belt. But the... <laughs> Oh, I totally. I, th- I was going to tell you something. Like that. Oh no, that's what, when I when I when I watched that. I didn't stay up to watch that WrestleMania. I recorded it, and the, the and like by I mean they're going to laugh as soon as I say it, but the video stopped recording after that match. <laughs> and so I actually, the video I actually, knew how to book it better than they did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh no. And then so like I had to wait for like this the the sky repeat. Like, it was repeated at, like, 8 o'clock or something, so I had to, like, wait to... I, like, came home from school and watched it and was, like, brilliant, and then it cut off, and I thought, what about the Mm. Triple H and Jericho match? And obviously I needed to know if if Jazz was going to successfully defend her women's title. Uh, So I had to wait for the tag match as well. Is that after it as well? The only reason I know that is because Rock Hogan was the end of disc one, and WrestleMania 18 was one of the first wrestling DVDs I took out of uh, Nuneaton Library. Oh, wow. Nuneaton Library. So many jokes made. (laughs) Surprised it has a library by what I've been hearing about it so far. Actually, you know what it is? It's it's like their most popular like chippy, and you know where they've got that little place where you got like the little um you know booklets that you can get for like the the, the nearby uh, theaters and that that that's their library. That is. <laughs> oh dear! I'll call that dog fight in Ring of Theater. <laughs> okay, so I think one. I think well, I mean to have a definitive one. I think we, you and me, Robert, have both done Austin. Uh, being embraced by the fans. So, Simon, would you be willing to drop one of your four to take the Austin one on? Uh, yeah, and rarely, unusually, I actually already have the one I'm willing to drop all queued up. Um, I'm, I'm going to take the CZW one out and accommodate the Austin one, I think. because I've got like, that ECW thing there, I suppose that kind of uh, covers... Well, yeah, we, we both have... I mean, I could take out the Hogan rubbish thing, but chucking rubbish and chucking that, weapons is something yeah. different entirely. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take out the weapons aspect of CZW. Well, this was a long one. Um, I've enjoyed it completely from start to finish. Um, thank you very much for doing this, Robert. Now, this is where we do all our plugs and everything. Uh, Robert, do you want to go first? If there's any Twitters or Facebooks or Bebos that you want people to follow you on. Um... <laughs> Give me love on Bebo. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so you can you can get me on Twitter. That's probably the best place to get me. You can get me at Bertie underscore ITR which is Inside the Ropes, uh, obviously, um, the other podcast. And you can get that um, on, on Facebook as well. If you just uh, basically Facebook search for Inside the Ropes, you'll find it. You can get all the links to our uh, podcast on that if you fancy listening to it. If anybody's listened to me drone on for the last couple of hours and thought, oh, I could do with more of that. <laughs> uh, especially, especially here, I'm getting really angry about things. Then, <laughs> then, feel, then feel free to, to check out um, Inside the Ropes. And also because I'd be... Remiss not to do it. We are going to be touring the UK. We're going to be in um, 
London, Manchester, Glasgow, and Belfast in March. Not Birmingham or Nuneaton. That's... Not Nuneaton. But maybe we're, we're adding a city every time we do a tour. They get bigger every time. So maybe maybe it'll be like WrestleMania. Maybe Nuneaton <laughs> can put in a bed <laughs> uh, for, for whoever, which other uh, 80s or mid-90s wrestling star isn't busy in the summer. To be fair, uh, Nuneaton does have quite a big uh, train station. It's quite an important interchange, you know? Like... Well. Uh, yeah, so so hooray for infrastructure and all seven of our platforms. Mm, mm. Take yeah. that crew with your six. <laughs> but yeah, we're taking, <laughs> we're taking Scott Stein around. Uh, oh man, cities. we're going to do Q and A. You can if you go to insidethenotes.co.uk, you can get your tickets there. Um, I think the, the ticket for like the show is like twenty pounds, or if you want to meet him, which I actually feel like you should sign some kind of disclaimer. <laughs> uh, it's forty pounds and. You can. He. It's funny because our podcast is fairly disrespectful and anarchic, but all the shows we've done so far have been with quite sort of like nice guests, <laughs> like Sting and uh, DDP and Jim Cornette and, and and things like that. So that we've always sort of had to be on our best behaviour. So I'm really looking forward to Steiner mm. because I just can't wait. That like you know like we're doing a show with Sting and. He's a really nice guy, but you can't really ask him anything no. too controversial because, well, one, he doesn't really engage with that kind of stuff really anyway. No. But, but with Steiner, it's just going to be like, so no, when, that, are you, yeah. <laughs> when are you planning on murdering Hulk Hogan? And you can probably give, <laughs> you can probably give us a date. So it's it's going to be fun, and he's uh, he's really up for talking to people. He's uh-huh. like, can I go? He's like, can I go out into the crowd? And oh stuff? God, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so yeah, you, um... you know what you should do. You should bring a. I'm gonna make one suggestion. Uh, bring a blackboard or a whiteboard and just have a little segment. You know, mathematics Math? with Scott Steiner. <laughs> oh, absolutely, we're not gonna miss that opportunity. See, my idea was just having just get a GoPro and take him to all the local tourist hotspots and each city and just <laughs> see what his reaction is to them. We were, we were thinking about like asking people if they wanted in like each city like to see if anyone wanted to do like a workout with them and try and make some kind of workout video. <laughs> But I don't know. Like I remember seeing a great video on Colt Banner and Brendan Burns show in Edinburgh, where he was—he must have been doing this thing where people got to pay a certain amount of money to do a promo with him, where it's him and it's like, "Hurt him heat, you can't, my brother Rick, but I got a new partner here, and he's gonna be with me, and hurt him heat, we're gonna take you at Starcade." And this really big southern bloke with a tash comes up. That's right. Me and Scott Snyder are going to take you on, and then we're going to have sex with your women, and then they're going to have sexually transmitted diseases. And then, like, Scott Steiner takes him to task going, but that means we have sex. Like, (laughs) Scott Steiner was the smart one out of these two. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe that would be something if if Scott signs up for that, you know, get to do a two-minute promo with Scott Steiner on Harlem Heat. Oh, such a good idea. He must know the joke, though. He must be in on the joke for that for yeah, that maths yeah, bit. Because yeah, yeah. what's crazy about the maths thing is it makes internal logic. Like all of the numbers add up. Yeah, like when you watch it, like it's not it's not that rambly. No, like it's quite like it's clearly been written. Yeah. I think. So I think it's meant to be funny. So hopefully we can get him to do it. But that's the, that could be a question. Like, when did you get in on the joke? I mean, it's a it's a risky one to say. But man, if he if he like maybe maybe he wants to keep kayfabe, you know, real though. 
You know, we'll have Mikey Whiplash behind him saying, you don't answer that question. Yeah, don't let them in. <laughs> don't let them into your lives. <laughs> the, um, the, the weirdest, the, the, the strangest, and like his... The other guests that we've had have all been quite open, and mm. but the one person who kept like trying to throw up like uh, kayfabe barriers was actually Sunny, <laughs> um, and she was, but she was trying to pass. She tried to get over this idea that she was the, she was thought of in the locker rooms as the female Jim Cornette <gasps> because her mind for the business, the business, was so um, sharp. Uh, which which just got so many laughs, and she was not happy about it. But... <laughs> oh well, oh well. It was it was funny. Anyway, Simon, sorry, uh, your twitters and facebooks and and, and the like. Uh, well, you can find me on Facebook because I'm not one of those people that have changed my privacy settings around. I, so uh, you you can find me that way. And you can also sign me sign me find me on Twitter where I am Simon Cross free. Uh, so known because I am often backed at three to one to uh, become the next most famous Simon. Um, <laughs> I'm just waiting for Cal to uh, shuffle off the mortal coil or retire, whichever comes first. <clears throat> and that is the way you can get hold of myself. How about you? Uh, you didn't get to go to the darts in the end, did you? I didn't. No, not. not you had tickets to the darts final, the the proper one, the PDC one, and you couldn't make it. Yeah, no, yeah, things had to get changed around, but never mind. There's, there'll be next time. Yeah, or you could just go to the next NXT show to get the same <laughs> uh, environment. Well, I, I am, I am, as I say. Um... I am going to be at WrestleMania 32 this year. I'm I'm Ooh. breaking my WrestleMania virginity, so I guess that more than makes up for it. And I get an NXT takeover as well. So, have you seen that great video? Just very quickly, have you seen that vinyl that's been making the rounds of Raymond Van Barneveld when he won like the quarterfinals or whatever, and it looked like he sort of done a Highlander thing. It's absolutely. I've not seen that. Oh, no, it's absolutely look- amazing. Anyway, um, but I'll get on with my thing here. Uh, yeah. So my name's Lorcan Mullen. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook on that name. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple N. Uh, you can also go on Amazon, like I've said. And if you've got a Kindle or a Kindle app or an e-reader, then get yourselves a copy of Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. Uh, if you want more of like the sort of autobiographical stuff that we had in the first part of the book. And I guess if you want to go more to the ranty parts of the second half, if you liked me just going off on one um, against people, because, you know, they're the worst. Um, I, I am currently working on a new uh, book, uh, which will hopefully be done by WrestleMania time, so those of you who are doing the um, journey might have something to read on your books or, or on your phones or during the, the long journeys to uh, Texas. Uh, I think that's everything now. Um, uh, keep going to our website, uh, soundcloud.com slash chessclubrebels, where you'll find all of the uh, Let Me Tell You Something podcasts. Uh, we will hopefully get in on iTunes eventually when one of us finds out how an RSS feed works. Neither of us have a bloody clue. Um, so, yeah, I think that's everything. Uh, is there anything we've missed there, Simon? No, no, we are all boxed off. All right, thank you once again very much for... Uh, having uh, for coming onto our podcast, Robert. And if you want to become like a semi-regular for us, we'll be more than happy to accommodate you. Um, so, yeah, that is us. Uh, that's for, on behalf of Robert Duffin and Simon Cross. My name is Lorcan Mullen, and thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great time. Until the next time, farewell, Grapple fans.
見てやめて